Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Skullcast, the premier podcast about Berserk from the community at SkullNight.net. I am your eternal host, Walter, and joining me today for episode 136 are Azeel. Hey, everybody. Grail. Hello. Gabolatula. Hello. And Griffith. Hey, hey. Full cast crew is here today. Ultimately, of course, we will be discussing the latest episode of Berserk 371. Uh, Of course, we have some news before that. The first bit of news I'd like to discuss is the exhibition. Uh, The next location for the Great Berserk Exhibition has finally been announced. It will be in Sapporo, the capital of Hokkaido, which is in the north region of the country. And that will be from January 14th to February 12th of 2023. Next up will be in Fukuoka on the island of Kyushu. It'll be there from April through May 2023. Uh, the next bit of news associated with that is that myself, Azil, Gobbs, and Grail will be going to Sapporo for the exhibition uh, in January. Yay! Yep. Right. We I think we're going to spend like a week there. To the Holy Land. Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really have like a schedule of events, but we're going to hit it up. We're going to go to the bars. We're going to also, you know, buy a bunch of shit. Probably I probably bring an extra thing of luggage just for shit I'm going to buy. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Same. Okay. We're doing the same. Cool. Excellent. I've never been to Japan. The furthest I've been in that direction is, I guess, Kenya and, and, and France. That's it. I'm not a big world traveler. Mm. Well, but anyway, excited. Mm-hmm. bundling up because I understand it will be a little cold. I don't know exactly how cold, but cold. But uh, do look forward to our coverage of that because we've had several members from the forum that have written up their impressions of it. But like you guys know me, I like recording stuff. I like talking in depth about it. So look mm-hmm. for some of that uh, in the next month or so. Yeah. I'll be taking detailed notes of everything, including the projects nobody cares about, like fucking animation, giant robot project. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of stuff. Of course, Mira's video he did, uh, you know, all these little things. And I mean, the exhibition itself, there's so many things. Very excited. We don't know exactly what the arrangement of this new location will be. For example, will it be everything from the previous exhibition and then some? Because they seem to keep adding a little bit at a time. Yeah. To me, I mean, if I were to just outline my highlights, it's seeing the actual art itself Mm. and the mirror video. Those are the two big ones for me. Mm -hmm. And the merch is like a distant third. Yeah, Um, yeah, the merch is not that. I mean, that's cool, of course, but that's obviously not a reason to go there. Uh, yeah. For Ginza, you know, when they did in Tokyo just previously, uh, it was a bit smaller than before. Right. Uh, since we're going to Sapporo, I expect, uh, you know, they'll have a bigger space so they can really put everything there. So uh, I'm really... I think they said it was going to be in a warehouse, right? Uh, it's something called uh, Sapporo Factory. That's what it's called. But uh, I, I got the feeling it's more of a mall. They tend to do things like that. So... I checked. Mm. I checked out the map. It's a it's a big building where there's you know a bunch of stuff. There's like a food store, uh, and, and a place for like events like these exhibitions. Wait. So the exhibition is going to be in the Sapporo factory. 
Yeah, it's called it's called like that, the Sapporo factory. But it's not it's where not, they make the beer. No, no, it's not in the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there is a museum for there the, is yeah uh, for the brewery, but uh, yeah, no. Your antenna went up like, hey. <laughs> it might actually be an old factory that they repurposed for this. Uh, honestly, I have no idea. I haven't really checked it up yet. I was. Uh, so in a hurry to get my plane ticket and hotel reserved, I've been like in a daze ever since. And also I had a very busy week at work, but I'm working on checking all these things before we go. Yep. Lots to do still, but lots to look look forward to in the next month. Absolutely. We're going to live. We're going to laugh. We're going to (laughs) love. That's the berserk theme. The berserk motto, live, laugh, love, (laughs) pray, eat, love. Anyway. Uh, the next piece of news is that there was just yesterday the the countdown the uh, countdown everyone's been waiting for with bated breath finally ticked down <laughs> to its conclusion, and the news is Azil. A Blu-ray box is being released on March twenty nine. Uh, <laughs> lucky. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it uh, could. Sc- it Physical could... media? <laughs> wow. That's the payoff? Well, As an announcement, it could scarcely be less exciting. Uh, <laughs> Blu-rays are something I buy, I feel like, out of obligation, more than I want to. Uh, and if for it to be the Memorial Edition in particular, something I already didn't care about, I definitely don't care about buying the Blu-ray for it. However, the full news, as Azil is going to get into, there's some cool stuff with it, though. Yeah, right. so... Well, what's just what's funny about the announcement is the actual uh, release date for the Blu-ray was also in the Young Animals that came out a day before that. So, even <laughs> yeah. that so they actually, blew the countdown. Wasn't actually uh, yeah that exciting, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the Blu-ray box set it's got a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, you know, musical clips. It's got three CDs for the OST, a special booklet with illustrations. All of that basically we don't care about, but. It has got the videos that Mira had recorded for the exhibition. So that video that we're going to see in the exhibition will also be on that Blu-ray. It's kind of a dirty tactic to get fans to buy this thing. And uh, I'll be honest, I'll probably be forking the money uh, for it as a result. One thing to keep in mind is that the cost is 39,600 yen, which amounts to uh, $290 or 275 euros. (laughs) So yeah, it is it is quite pricey for what it is. Um, I'll say that. Uh, so we're also like the countdown was also mainly for the eclipse episode. They made a big deal out of it uh, on Twitter and all the social networks. There was a big PR thing. It's like yeah, that's a big shocker thing you shouldn't miss uh, for Berserk. Yeah. That's really all it's all about is the eclipse. It's got monsters and stuff. Um, so yeah, and. and you know, in total, they did add uh, about over 30 minutes of new content. That is mostly faithful to the manga, so that's a thing going for it. Plus other minor fixes that don't matter much. But yeah, it, it, to me at least, having watched it, uh, it's felt like a valiant effort to course correct uh, those terrible movies. But unfortunately, it's really too little, too late for it. So other than the Mira video, honestly, I can't recommend forking like 200 bucks for it. Yeah, I don't really mind them including the Mira video. I understand from the perspective of those of us that just spent, you know, thousands or thousands of dollars to go see the exhibition. Like, oh, that was supposed to be mine. But like, not everybody gets a chance to go see it. And I always wanted it to be out there 
uh, yeah. because it is his last, I mean, as far as we know, right, on-camera interview. That should be, everybody should be get, get, get a taste of that if they can, mm. you know. Yeah, the reason I feel it's a bit dirty is that they could just put it on YouTube, you know. Or... <laughs> oh, yeah. Even well, it's also, freedom. it's like the thing that like, you know, elitist fans like us would care about versus, you know, like they're really selling a $200 Blu-ray of something we don't care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the soundtracks being on there is nice, too. They are making it a box. But yeah, I mean, those things in Japan are traditionally very expensive. I remember the last... Even the 2016-2017 series had expensive Blu-ray boxes, which mm. they similarly kind of ransomed these great pieces that Mira had created for yeah. the cover of those uh, that you right. had to buy the terrible series to get the artwork for. So Yeah, yeah that's kind of Fun the memories. business model for it. Is that they make these animations as kind of uh, advertisements for the manga, for you know all that crowd of people who won't read a book. So they get mm-hmm. these scenes and they're like, hey, you know, maybe maybe I'll, I'll buy a, a manga or two, a Tonkoban or two. And, and then they make the merch and that's for the big, big fans who will fork money for it, even though it's not worth it. They'll be like, ah, I need to have my complete collection or there's this one piece of art <laughs> from Yura that I need to get. And again, case in point, I did get... I, buy, I bought them used, but I did get the illustrations for the uh, 2016 series. Oh, yeah. Those are good. Yeah, because they're pretty good. They're big. They're like cardboard illustrations. They're very nice. I managed, luckily, to get uh, only the, you know, the, the illustrations themselves, so I got them for pretty cheap. Hmm. But if you want to be hard- hardcore, some guy probably forked, I don't know, 600 bucks for it. It's just... That's a business model. Yep. Well, that's it for the news section, as far as I know. Wait, uh, there's hmm? also a gacha game because Hakusensha does like to make money, and they launched. Is there really? Yeah, yeah. They launched a, a gacha game online on a partner website uh, that hmm. runs. It started, I think, in November 20th around, and it runs until December 26th. It's basically a lottery where uh, each roll costs uh, 880 yen, so it's like I don't know six bucks. And the prizes go from like illustrated post-it notes up to uh, a couple of painting reproductions that are not sold at the exhibition. So if you want them, you you gotta get them there. Uh, mm. And they'll also sell, you know, there's also like uh, decorative plates and magnets and stuff like that. It's overall it's not great, save for for the paintings. And these are of course super hard to get. So uh, well, you know, even what? that when you think of the money they'd be taking in. Yeah. yeah. How about a legit? How about an authentic painting in there? <laughs> like yeah. for that, like not a reproduction. Wow, geez, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, ga- the gacha system, which is these little uh, bowl machines. You put a coin, you turn the thing, you get a bowl. You don't know what's what's in it. These are very famously known to be like uh, gambling addiction yeah. related stuff. <laughs> gambling adjacent. Yeah. So it's it's really pretty much just a dirty scheme. It's a slot machine. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a just a money making venture from Akusensha. One more uh, with Berserk, and I. When you look at what they've done in the past year, you're like, hmm, are they just trying to make as much money as they can out of this? And the answer is kind of yes. But anyway, I think so. yeah, that that's some things that's been going on. I didn't even make a thread about it on on the forum yet because I'm like, do I want to advertise this kind of mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. I mean, will they even ship such merch to the U.S.? Oh, yeah. You know? That's the thing, too. You know how when you buy Young Animal, it's it's kind of a buzzer because you you got to get your card approved and whatever. 
not so with this website. And they even tell you, oh, you want to ship it, uh, to get it shipped uh, internationally? You can use uh, Tenso.com, which is a... like a special service mm-hmm. that does that. It's the one that's related to Bayi, another thing for auctions. And they're like, you can do this, you can do that, and, and they'll take your credit card huh. even if it's uh, foreign. So, yeah. Don't worry. They really they're being the very international friendly. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's easier than ever for them to take our money. Yeah. We need to get those Western suckers. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm, on, on one hand, I'm glad that they're making an effort for foreign fans, but on the other hand, it's like... Couldn't you make it easy to buy the stuff we actually want and not the gambling-related lottery, <laughs> you know, yeah. things that's like half illegal in other countries? Yeah, it's a little. It's weird. It, it, a lot of decisions they made around this are strange. Like that, the exhibition is more than a year old at this point, and they still—it's still impossible, basically, for foreigners to get their hands on some of that merchandise until Sapporo. You know, it's still not legal for us to get that stuff until yeah. a month from now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they didn't make much of an effort. And even like, I mean, so for big fans like us, you know, going to Japan to see the exhibition, it's a treat in and of itself. But uh, most people won't be willing to spend that kind of money or even can't spend that kind of money. And the thing is, uh, touring exhibitions like that, they can last up to five years for, mm. for very famous mangaka. So it's possible it's going to go on for another year or two, you know, easily could. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of odd that at least. Uh, artwork of Berserk book should probably be made available to foreign fans. It wouldn't cost them much, and Japanese people who actually want to go see it, or Korean people, people from Taiwan, people who can relatively easily get to Japan would probably still go if they want to. So, mm. yeah, it's a bit of a consumer or fan unfriendly decision, in my opinion. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Well, on to the main event, I suppose. And that is, of course, the release of episode 371, which officially came out Friday. We got it a day or so early. Uh, and so I'll just read the summary, as we usually do, and then we'll get into it. The episode starts right where the previous one had stopped. Roderick is still frantically banging on the door, while Shirke, right behind him, goes forth into the room using her body of light. She sees Guts lying on the floor and staring at the Dragon Slayer. She perceives various memories the Guts has with his sword, like Roshin's guardians, killing some Holy Iron Chain Knights, the possessed horse from Volume 17, and Trolls, and Daka. And then she sees a vision of Griffith from the Hill of Swords, and the jaws of the Beasts of Darkness close down and she's thrown away back to her body. Guts is shown screaming, sinking, naked underwater, saying that it was all for nothing. But he's really just sprawled on the floor, as we see in reality. As Shirke and Roderick stop caring and walk away, we see that the remaining part of the island breaks apart and sinks down, forming a whirlpool. Meanwhile, in Falconia, Sonia, Mule, and Irvine are waiting at a harbor that the city uh, has now, apparently. Uh, they're joined by Grunbeld and Locust just in time for Azad to emerge from one of the branches and from Griffith to land with Casca in his arms. He smirks as they kneel before him, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, so it's one of those where they split the narrative in half, uh, roughly in half, not exactly, but yeah, that's that that technique itself is traditional. Um, I my major takeaway, and I'm going to open the floor in a moment. My major takeaway here is that. 
it is baffling that they even had Roderick knock on the door to begin with. If they're not going to do anything with it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that they would even introduce a conflict if they weren't going to resolve the conflict in any meaningful way. Shierke could have just gone right through the wall, whether Roderick was knocking hard or not. It was just stopped me in my tracks. Like, what is what are the decisions being made here, storytelling-wise? It didn't make any sense to me at all. I'll pass the mic. Anybody else? Go feel free. Uh, well, just to sort of follow up on what you're saying, I think it's kind of pantomiming sort of the busyness or action of a Berserk episode. You know, like there's you know, lots of stuff going on. If, if it was just Shirky dealing with guts, you know, the episode wouldn't have enough pages. <laughs> they wouldn't have enough panels to draw, so they have to sort of fill it in with uh, sure. what I mean, looks it's, like it's- – I think it's manufacturing the con- a conflict. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of tension. manufactured conflict, manufactured content, and sort mm-hmm. of fill- filling filling it out, filling in details that don't necessarily make complete sense, as you point out. It's busy work, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you know, hey, look, look, there's stuff going on. Same thing with the whirlpool, really, which is, okay, so the island was destroyed. Right. Yeah. Sure. That was already, like, established, you know? It's like, yeah. we didn't need to have it... Oh, it's going down again. It's it's really gone. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like the Ark Island, uh, as I said last episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah sure, now it's, it's just nothing left. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't... I, thought, I figured they would re- leave it as a crescent, you know, remaining thing. Yeah, that's what was implied by the fact they even bother to name it like that. And the fact, like, pretty much... They all leave from it. So there's nothing left. It's just uh, like a, a rock jutting out from the water. But no, even that gets destroyed. Conveniently, of course, after the gun, far enough. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it does feel like like busy work. Well, I, I do think that Whirlpool thing, and I, I mentioned so in my post, but I think it's just there to thematically tie into what Shierke is saying. That Guts feels like he's sinking deep. And then this Whirlpool, also everything's being sucked down to the ocean. And then it thematically is the same. But that's kind of contrived way of accomplishing that, in my opinion. And it it also introduces this fake tension as if because the sailors are like, oh, no, a whirlpool. We're fucked. Obviously, yeah. they're not fucked. You know, <laughs> it's just fake tension. Yeah. And, and the next time we see like the seahorse, they won't be dealing with a whirlpool. They'll be far away doing something else. So it's also, I mean, again, not very, not very useful. And to me, generally, like this episode felt completely superfluous. I'll say, and kind of incredibly, it feels like a less satisfying conclusion to the Alpha Island chapters than episode 370 was. So, without beating around the bush, he kind of cemented the fact that this team doesn't seem to know what they're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, we had, uh, we had been a bit conflicted because uh, they had said when they started this project, there would be six episodes until the end of the chapter. Uh, there ended up being seven. And, and mm-hmm. on Twitter, Kurosaki, who's a chief assistant, uh, confirmed that they indeed had planned six episodes. And they just ended up making seven because uh, they just overran what was planned. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of strange. I feel like... I have less and less and less and less confidence in what they're doing and the plans they have and the fact they would respect Mira's word and only do what he said. When I look at the global thing, and I guess we'll, we'll get back to it uh, with a chapter review, but I just feel like, uh, yeah, it's, it's 
it's very messy and not very faithful. It's weird reading this, you know, reading through what's happening here, because I think as we spoke about before, there's a real uh, issue with pacing with these new episodes where either too much is happening at once or they're stretching it out and stretching it out. And these mm. past two episodes were a good example of that. So I'm guessing, I guess I'm just wondering what was their intention in adding this episode that they couldn't have just kind of packed into a few extra pages uh, last time around. Yeah, maybe it's just a lack. I mean, it's also a discussion that's been going on in the communities. Uh, some people say, oh, they just don't care. They're not putting in the effort. Uh, and and it's just, I think they are probably putting in an effort. They're just not good enough, very simply. Yeah. So they lack the ability to do it. Well, I think it's sort of a, in a little bit. I mean, we, we saw this earlier with, you know, trying to convey that Guts couldn't hit Griffith, you know, and it's like there's like a whole episode or it's felt like an episode and a half of him like missing and like he's breaking stuff, you know, hitting yeah. fences. Like, you know, and it's like we get, you know, and even after that it was sort of still until like it went on his shoulder and everything. It was like, well, what is going on? Like, you know, it still wasn't even clear what they were mm. conveying until, you know, they told us. Right. And uh, <clears throat> so I think they're kind of in a way – overcompensating for like their inability to express things economically like as was saying it was probably better if it just ended like you know it was already over it ended leave it at that you know the island was already done with we already knew gut situation this didn't add anything but i think they're trying to like you said put in the effort to show more character development to kind of live up to the series standard you know, to do something, you know, kind of like, well, this is kind of like how Mira would do it, right? You know, he'd show some flashbacks and we'd get, you know, some in-depth things and back and forth with Shirke, you know, and analysis from her, whatever. But, you know, because they're, you know, it's the same issue why they couldn't do that economical storytelling very well. They also can't do this, you know, very well. And that's not, you know, I'm not being like a shit about it you know it's just sort of like these guys didn't spend the last 20 years drawing their own manga series they were assistants you know so it's yeah. like they're this is a probably too much of a job to like oh well you know now just take over for the master yeah and so, it's also sorry go ahead walter so like my uncle was in the home run derby and one day he got sick and he said i can't do it can you do it for me <laughs> and so i having played baseball in fifth grade said, I will do it. I will honor your legacy and I will play in the home run derby. And they pitched at me 47 times and I missed every single pitch. And you got hit in the face twice. <laughs> That's my story. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good metaphor for it. Uh, because yeah, I mean, Mira was a genius again. I mean, it's nothing new. It's nothing shocking to say. So everybody says, so Maury said so himself. He said, even though, uh, I know the story doesn't mean I can draw it. Yeah, sure, buddy. I believe that. The question is, <laughs> why do you think some guy who was like drawing rocks in the background part-time and, and cleaning up stuff, why why can't these guys do it? And the, the answer is they can't. I mean, they're, they're doing, I'm sure, the best they can, but it's, it's not enough. And to get into... I actually think it's a, like just visually... I mean, it's not, you know, Mira, you know, you can clearly see the difference. But just as uh, if it was to like a layperson that like wasn't a Berserk fan and they saw 
you know, I mean, I've, I've tested this on my wife, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey, what do you think of these new episodes? Oh, it looks like, it looks like the old ones, you know, just right. to the naked sure. eye at first blush. It's like, yeah, it resembles it. It doesn't but like look the like. the pantomime, like you said. Yeah. It's the pantomime. Yeah. yeah. Lack of it, scrutiny, though, can carry over. I mean, that to me, that is the dissonance that we're seeing in the reception of these episodes is just, yeah. if you're just glancing at them and not really paying attention to the action on each page or the, the incoherence of the action, you're kind of just like, yeah, I get it. I get it. The, the island sunk. I get it. Cool. And then when they try to kind of make up for it with this episode, it almost exacerbates it because it's like you, yeah. you – the problem isn't that you didn't do enough effort. It's that you probably don't have the skill like in Walter's uh, you know metaphor there where you're not – it doesn't matter how hard you try. You're not going to hit that ball. Yeah, that's a 107-mile-an-hour fast pitch. I can't hit that. <laughs> you know – it's a good enough imitation, like you said, on a very superficial level. But the more you look at it, the more it becomes like the uncanny valley, right? Where you see it's like yeah, some, yeah. some kind of insectoid alien who's uh, just pretending to be a human. If it, if it clearly <laughs> looked like a totally different, you know, manga, like, you know, if it looked like a totally different style, if they were all done in someone else's style completely instead of imitating Mira's style, mm. it would probably just – your mind would course correct with that and go like, oh, yeah, well, I'm looking at something different instead of it being like, this sort of looks like Berserk. These are their character models, but everything is wrong, yeah. <laughs> you know, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, Let's- I think I got the biggest uh, feeling of that in this particular episode from Griffith's, like, little expressions throughout – the Haha, I, I was like, what? This is like a, a, a repeat of I got her. Uh, in the opening of the 2016 anime where they show him like making yeah. a oh, creepy God. face yeah. for effect for the fans to go, oh, wow, he's so villainous. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, Honestly, that wasn't the point at that <laughs> at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, even looking at uh, Granbel Locus, I was like, this looks like a drawing of two guys cosplaying at Granbel and Locus. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I get it. These are two cosplayers, but it doesn't really look like the characters. And uh, Grunbeld is is three guys in a in a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, with a big. But you know, I mean, and just getting into the maybe the thick of it, because beyond yeah, just the it. artwork and the fact it's it's kind of useless. I mean, there's some stuff that that was pretty shocking to me in this episode, and I'll go over them quickly. The first is Shuriki perceiving God's memories from her body of light because we we see Shuruke experience some of what God's have lived when she goes into the armor. She's a magic user, so she goes inside the armor to rescue him from it and she's exposed to what's projected from his mind into the art of the armor, forming that big flame, forming the, the beast of darkness with the fire. It's what we see in volume 27. But she doesn't go into his mind because she's a witch and that's not what she does. And if she could do that, they would have not needed to go to the island, to go to Hellfilm, to do the Corridor of Dreams. She could have just gone into Casca's mind, cured her, right at Flora's place. Yep, no need, done, it's good. But here they do that, and she doesn't even go. She's just floating near him, and she experiences his memories. She can see what's in his mind. That stuff is just, it's like... It's what you would expect from somebody who doesn't understand the series because they just read it casually. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Every, everything like that is being conflated with like, oh, yeah. well, you know, it does. there's no rules. Just go into their mind, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just and inside his mind, there are berserk memes, like the horse, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's just, 
and, and I mean, the, the scenes, the memories that are chosen are also, like you said, pointless. What would have been good for him to think back on regarding his sword is like, for example, the encounter with Flan in the Clifforth. That's a time where the Dragon Slayer did the job. He could send her away. He could dispel what she was doing. Uh, mm. But you see, you show like uh, some guys getting killed, the crocodiles, the Daka. I mean, that's not memorable. And it, and it feels like, you know, last episode, he was thinking about his sword from the Golden Age that broke. And, and that felt a bit nonsensical that he wasn't thinking about the Dragon Slayer. It's like somebody thought, oh, damn, we forgot the Dragon Slayer. Let's add some scenes. <coughs> and then they took the most non-committal scenes they could so that it doesn't mean anything specific, but it ends up not meaning anything at all. Well, it's just the fact that anyone would think, oh, you know, we we didn't, we forgot to do more with the Dragon Slayer. We didn't hit it hard enough about how important the Dragon Slayer is to him. <laughs> and I it's like, wait, right. aren't we forgetting something else? Nope. <laughs> like, that well, think was about it. that for a second, because as Azil said earlier, they basically realized they needed to add an extra episode. And that's kind of what created this, probably, right? Because things had concluded effectively narratively on the ship last episode. Nothing is added to this other than Shirke being explicitly aware of Gut's feeling of failure. That's all that really is accomplished on the ship in this episode. So then what was added was the perspective of Gut's having the Dragon Slayer and that also having failed him, right? Mm. Like, I do feel like it's a course correction they're trying to make and they just added on half an episode to accomplish that because that's what I wanted to ask was like even being charitable with this episode, what actually is accomplished is that Shiarke gets that pers- perspective of Guts because she didn't know where Guts was. She knew where Guts was in a, a room. She goes in the room and sees that Guts is dismayed at the result. What's weird about that is that even Shirke is not thinking about Casca. No mention of Casca yeah. either in Guts' memories or even from Shirke's perspective. Now, I've seen people try to, what's the word, uh, mental gymnastics their way around this by saying, oh, well, Guts can't even cope with that. That's way too serious, so he's like buried that part of it. Okay, <laughs> sure. But wouldn't Shirke be thinking, oh, it's all because of Casca, right? Something must have happened with Casca. Nothing. Silence. Out of sight, out of mind. Weird. Yeah. She's, I mean, I think it's clear, and it's, I said something to a guy in the thread, I said, you gotta stop trying to think about what makes sense from the story perspective, to understand the decisions that need to be made, and it's something Walter actually was first to say, I think, a a while back, is that you need to think about how this team came to the decision to put this and that. And it's a very different way to do it than what Mira did, and it's probably just like, well... We need this for that later, so we do that. We need to attention, so let's add Roderick banging on the door frantically, even though he's going to stop caring suddenly for no reason whatsoever. It's stuff like that. It's like, okay, we need to put scenes from his past. What are scenes that are cool? Oh, uh, yeah, you know Roisin? That, that was pretty cool. Let's put her. Oh, let's put the horse. The horse. People love the horse, right? And they don't think that, for example, what's, what's memorable about that uh, horse scene we found in, in volume 17? It's not just that the horse face is grotesque. I mean, that's a great visual creation from, from uh, Murat. It's great. But what's great about this scene is that when uh, Gats sees a horse attempting to rape Farnese, he's got that flashback of the eclipse. And at that point, 
It's been a while since we, we saw that. He's, we did the, you know, Lost Children chapter. He's got that flashback. He gets so fucking pissed. He slams so hard. He barely stops from cutting Farnes' head off. So the, even at, in that scene, the point is Casca. He's reminded of Casca and Femto, and that pisses him off. Mm-hmm. So to show this scene as just him... Yeah, and to Ford, actually quote that scene, but yet sanitize it of Casca. Yeah. It, it just, <laughs> right, it, it's so surface level. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's missing the point. It's like uh, they miss the point of the scene even at the time. And that gets us back to the, uh, to the Beast of Darkness imagery, which is also completely nonsensical. Same thing as with Shirukes, like they don't get the point. The Beast of Darkness symbolizes God's aggressivity, his hatred, his desire for revenge, his self-destructive impulse to go to any length to kill Griffiths. That's what the Beast is about. That's why it wants to get rid of his companions and Casca, because it wants him to focus on revenge, only that to wallow in his, his hatred and regret and guilt and just go for the revenge. And, and the chains that hold it back that are introduced in episode uh, 290 on the, on the ship, they're meant to be his friends, his feelings towards them. And it's like a kind of a metaphor for his ability to resist the pull of the armor, to be like, no, I won't just go crazy and kill everybody because these people care for me, I care for them. I am more than just a man desperate for revenge now. And the way it's done in this episode is just, he, he's completely defeated. He was actually faced with Griffiths. He couldn't beat him. So the beast should be at its weakest. It should be devastated even more so than Guts because it specifically represents a part of him that wants to kill Griffiths. And he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So if he's just wallowing like that and, you know, sprawled on the floor, crying and shitting his pants, the beast, <laughs> the beast should not be, like, surging forward and breaking the chains and whatever we're, we're shown here. It doesn't make any sense. It should be in its, like, little littlest dog form and yeah. coming up to him, licking his hand, going, hey, man, you okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. Yeah, honestly, yeah. like... The perspective of the beast, I actually think it could be done really well. Like, you, I could see the beast, like, in the corner, kind of, like, trying to get guts riled up, and he can't. You know what I mean? Like, the guts is like, let's do this, you know? And he's licking him and, like, looking fierce, but guts just doesn't have an enemy anymore, you know? He doesn't have that hunger anymore. And so the beast has shrunk. That could be done. But I, I wanted to point out that uh, Azil almost called you guts for some reason. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh the beast breaks the chains in this episode. That's visually significant if it actually mean, meant anything. <laughs> if it meant anything, it would be a big fucking deal because that has been a looming threat since, as you alluded to, 290 and that nightmare that Guts had while on the ship. Um, you know, the beast was saying these things can't hold me forever uh, and that ultimately these will be destroyed and, you know, I'll come crashing yeah. out, basically. And we see here, that- we see him chomping right through him. Yeah, and, and uh, in episode uh, 360, in volume 36, we see that a bit when he uses the armor to fight the sea slugs, and the right. chains start breaking up because it's like, even though he's trying, he can't hold back the armor for just, you know, making him crazy. And so that's the point of that visual. It's, it's him trying to not go crazy while using the armor. And in this case, I mean, he doesn't use the armor, he stood in front of Griffiths and the armor didn't activate, which also made no sense. There was no word from the beast at the time. I even disagree with you, actually. I, I don't think the beast should be riding him up. I think the beast should actually be lying half dead, wounded, hiding in a hole. And even 
if he tries to call it, like he wouldn't come. You know what I mean? It should be actually the opposite. Mm. God himself should be less less affected than the beast. The beast is the one that should have the biggest impact from this because mm. it got its chance. It got its shot that he's been clamoring for since forever. It wanted to kill Griffiths. Revenge, revenge, forget the rest, revenge. It's got its shot, it missed. And now it's fucked. And so it should be really at its lowest. Well, regardless of how it's portrayed, it should have been portrayed as a pivot for the beast, but that's that doesn't happen here. Yeah, you know? no. However, well, I think it kind of, I mean, go, like looking at it like devil's advocate, what are they... What are they doing, even though it doesn't work? Like, I was actually thinking of another metaphor where it's like, you know, there's a lot of ingredients here. But let's say your uncle was Wolfgang Puck instead of, you know, a baseball player. And he's like, hey, man, I don't have time for this catering event. You're going to have to cook all the food. That's actually what we're kind of getting. Here are the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so Casca being gone in a way, that could break the chain, right? She is the strongest representative of like, that is the chain that keeps him behaving, keeps yeah. him on the chain. It could be keeps him from breaking free and running wild. That's a and that's a good idea that I also had. The problem is Casca <laughs> is never addressed at all. Yeah, <laughs> which right. Is, which is what's crazy. He's thinking about the fucking sword. That's the thing. It's, He's thinking about the sword and the chains break. That's why it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like they keep shooting themselves in the foot because the imagery is not necessarily wrong. It's just wrong for that scene yeah. or for that time in the story. They could have used this chain-breaking imagery back when they first started the continuation, and we would have been like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Going back to what I said earlier, it's a, it's a case of, I think they're going through past volumes and looking at stuff that's like visually impactful and cool and be like, okay, let's use this one. Let's take this and use this. Or They're in the pantry. Yeah. yeah. And, and the problem is, if you don't know what you're doing, it, it ends up not making sense. Like all these scenes, they're stuff Mura created and planned to use in the future. And so you, if you take them individually, they're all cool. In the context, they're great. And they could be used to make sense. Like Griff said, if uh, it was meant to represent now that Casca's gone, uh, the beast is the one that's taking over and say, but God, he's not, it's not like the armor's activating now and he's going crazy. He's sprawled on the floor. He has no fighting spirit left. That's like, again, the beast represents his fighting spirit. If right now an apostle came, what would he do? He would just stay sprawled like that and the beast wouldn't do anything. So it, it just, it's contradictory, basically. It doesn't make sense. I, I'm sorry, there's no other way to say it. It just doesn't make sense. Well, I wonder how they're going to, like, projecting forward, like, what do we think is going to be the next scene on the ship with Guts? Is he going to be <clears throat> like this crushed, or is this telling us? Because the context that they're, like, trying to say to me, and correct me if you see it differently, is that Shirke feels like, you know, she can't reach him. Mm. You know, and that he he's sinking down, the chain is broken. That would indicate that when we see him again, he's going to be a broken man that's like, basically, he doesn't care about anything. Like, he will kill his comrades or whatever if they get in his way in a fight. Something like that. That's what it says to me. Like, he's going, like, this could be dangerous. But is it just going to be he's really sad still and it's, you know, like, it's going to not make sense. Like, you know, it's going to be a contradiction later where it's like, oh, no, he's just depressed. And we'll rescue Casca and he'll get out of it. And then this didn't really mean anything. It was just a bunch of imagery they were throwing against the wall. The problem is that there's really no way to know. Yeah, what. I don't know what it's going to yeah. be. 
it could go either way. I think if I were to, it's hard because I feel like all the recent episodes drawn through the continuation have obscured my perspective on guts a little bit. You know, like I don't. Well, yeah, remember I, when all the, well, all the magical people on the island disappear except for Puck and Elvira because yeah. well, they're too important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. it's hard for me to know what this guts will do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, Mira's yeah. guts, I could maybe have a a, a a leg to stand on, but I don't. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I never saw Mira's guts crying and peeing his pants before. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's uncharted territory. And and yeah. to answer your question, I mean, my my take is, yeah, he would still be crushed, and he would need something to get him back on his feet. Something which could be as simple as Shuke telling him, well, you know, actually, I saw that there was a maelstrom, very powerful magical effect on Griffith, and that's probably why you couldn't hit him with your sword. And they'd be like, oh, damn. And she'd be but like, But will yeah, he you be know, so far gone that he's just like, yeah. I don't want to hear it anymore? You know, <laughs> see yeah. a letter. You know? So, but the problem is, like you said, for him to go from, oh, I'm so sad, I can't even stand up, I can't even walk by myself, I need to be carried by people. To all oh, kill my comrades, I don't care about anything anymore. I mean, it's kind of a, a contradiction again. Right. Well, it's going to be a contradiction either way because it's a contradiction now. Where it's like, wait, is the chain broken and now he's a monster, or is he yeah. so sad he can't get up? Yeah. What exactly? Yeah. And what gets him to to fight again? I mean, you would think well, when he remembers Casca. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> to save Casca, that's that's a worthy effort, right? But he hasn't been thinking about her at all, even since she was taken. So it doesn't make any sense. And even when Griffith was with her, he's you know he struck in a way that like if he had cut through him, he would have also cut through her. Yeah. He's thinking. He's literally thinking about Griffith, like images of Griffith's face. You yeah. know, <laughs> like I miss him. Yeah, it <laughs> kind of feels like like a, like a fan fiction, which is uh, also why I'm just worried. Well, that's why Casca is gonna marry Griffith in the next episode. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh god, I can with when we haven't even touched it yet, but we will get to the the seaport. But I, I just wanted to <laughs> flash forward if you can fan fictionalize for a moment that maybe guts gets off his feet. And maybe, in my opinion, it would be a cool turn for the boy to be the one that got Guts back on his mission to at least say, you have to bring Casca back, or, you know, rescue Casca. And the Guts in them are just there to get Casca, and that Griffith is merely not the target. He's just in the way, effectively. And that's how the final confrontation goes, trying to get Casca back, period. Yeah, but... Honestly, I, I mean, that's a bigger discussion. We don't have time for it, but I feel like it would be kind of a betrayal for her character. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah, I don't want her locked up either. I'm just saying now that they've drawn a seaport as a, well, don't go back there. It's wide open. You know, it's. A, yeah, mm, it's okay. just I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I'm not even trying to guess what they'll do, uh, but I'm no, I, I say it. I say all that to say what would rouse guts. I think the, the boy could. Would be yeah, but the thing is, I mean, he just saw the boy transform into Griffiths, and presumably yeah, that, the reason Griffiths sure. took Casca is so that the boy doesn't go to his parents anymore, he doesn't go to Guts anymore. I don't know. You're but, just lying on the floor yeah, pretty in a much. circle crying. I'm, <laughs> That's I'm how you feel. I'm to you guys on the floor, and I just shut my pants. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm crying. I'm, I'm, I'm watching my keyboard. I'm like, I can't. I can't anymore, man. <laughs> You know, you 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 kept posting logic, and, and it didn't hit anybody. It just, you yeah. know, nobody got it. My voice <laughs> sunk into the death. 
Let's stop. But yeah, let's let's talk about so let's talk about the other thing, which is like the the cherry on top of the shit pile, which is that they've retconned not just Falconia but Midland itself. Because now the it's no longer Midland anymore. Yeah, pretty much. It's not Midland. It's Sealand. It's, it's Sealand. So now yeah. the, the, the capital city of Midland is by the seashore. There's a harbor, and basically the sea is at the back of the place. Wait, did you call it? It's Midland. Is that correct? Midland. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, I guess. I guess not. I guess now it's Sealand, like like Greg yeah. said. I mean, it's so that's 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 crazy. I mean, to me, that's really and it's it's such a lack of respect. I mean, what the fuck were the scenes? Well, do you mean for the story, for Mira, or the audience? For, <laughs> like... for, for all of them, all three. I mean, it's just so. I, I'm guessing their their like their thinking was, well, we never saw the back of Falconia. Maybe there's mm-hmm. actually the sea there, and there's a port, which is by the way pretty small for such a huge city. You'd think they'd have a bigger port than that. It did look small to me. I mean, yeah. Falconia is huge. Yeah, and Britannia's had a, like a real harbor because, I mean, just Mura did things smartly and these guys... Uh, they well, they, they needed to create a literal back channel for Guts to infiltrate yeah. you know, yeah. the city. And, and it's simple, yeah, the reasoning is just, well, the seahorse is going to get to the city directly, not through the front gates. And so they did that, but it's such a stupid decision. I can't. I I really hope that's not that because that's so prescriptive. It's just no. They'll they'll get in a, a you know a rowboat when they get close. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> not literally. <laughs> so, oh they, man, I hope it's not seahorse. so one to one. I it really is, do. Cause it is so dumb. I can't. Get, honestly, I can't get over it. It's, it's insane. It's insane. They do realize there's like other possible ways to do this. Right, there's it can be creative. I guess making a port is creative. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty creative, right? Yeah. <laughs> but can we yeah. just real quick talk about the first? This really bothered me when we first transitioned back to Falconia. We get this exterior shot of the world tree outside Falconia, and then we jump over the wall. I, I guess, and and we're zooming, and then we see pandemonium. And then we go somewhere else completely from Pandemonium. I don't know where we're going with the way this is panning around. Is it is it Mule running around the city looking for Sonia? Is that what he's... What is it portraying here with all these shots? I think he's supposed to establish... Because if you look at the shot of uh, Pandemonium, you know, the black orb. I mean, it's shown here as a black orb. Uh, you can see that there's a, the port is at the back. Like, the harbor is at the back. So it's zooming through all that. Yeah, it's, it's zooming through the city to show, hey, guess what? There's actually a harbor at the back. There's actually the sea. Falconia is a, is a sea, you know, a shore city, a seaside city. Uh, and by the way, so I'm, there's a, a, a hundred things to nitpick in this episode, but the lighthouse also has me crazy. I got to mention this one. It depicts a modern lighthouse which is jutting out from mm-hmm. the sea with a beam mm-hmm. that's being cast yeah, that far away. Yeah, that pretty powerful. And, and, that's, and it seems to be implied to be rotating. And this sort of thing was only pioneered in like the 19th century. Um, hey, man, Falconia Technologies. Hello, Griffin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got an electrical, a genius. an electrical lighthouse with uh, Fresnel lenses on it, which is, I mean... Ancient Falconia's li- got fucking electricity, bro. <laughs> Ancient lighthouses were like simple towers built on land, and they used like wood fire. 
So this is also so stupid. It's so stupid. It's like you also didn't think about it. And Griffith you know sticks his finger into like an electrical socket on the wall, <laughs> and it powers yeah, the whole city. They've got like a, an electric eel apostle that's powering <laughs> the thing. He's plugged in twenty. I was just gonna say. <laughs> that's they got where an, an apostle shooting. No, they have like you know Borkoff or one of those guys like, running on a big treadmill, yeah. <laughs> like just like a big wheel. He's got a. He's on a lazy Susan. They're just turning it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they, and you know what's sad is they they bother themselves to like give it the Falconia treatment and. Although I'm, I like the wings. Yeah, it's it's not it's, it's even not so bad. Like visually, like, nice nice adaptation. But the problem is that that's not possible. It's not. It doesn't make sense to have this kind of a lighthouse there. And and also, I mean, the way it's it's put, it's like just in front of the entrance of the harbor. It's it's really stupid. And when Locus pulled up in his Ferrari, it didn't make any sense that Grunbelt <laughs> got out of the side. I mean, that's way too small. <laughs> yeah, honestly, so yeah, it's just stupid. But the harbor, in, in any case, crazy. Uh, the fact Sonia is there, the fact they also all go there. I mean, let's just just stop for a moment. When Griffiths left for the island, he was just done banging Charlotte in her bedroom, and he was like, "Hmm, my hair is turning uh, black. It's gonna happen again this night." And she just jumps out the window. He's naked, he's alone. It's like a, a private thing, discreet. And you would think the fact he, like the overlord and master and future emperor and whatever, the fact he transformed into a little boy and elopes to see his parents at the other side of the world, it's kind of a private matter, right? Not something he wants to broadcast. But when he comes back, on top of that, of course, who went there, we don't know how. Uh, everybody's waiting for him as in kneeling in front of him. And it's like they were all like... Locus and Grunbeld are shown arriving there because they knew it was a place where he would come back to. And, and it was like at the exact time he was returning yeah, as and well. Yeah, of course they're getting oh. there right at the time. And it's like... It could have been it could have been Sonia though. Sonia could fill those yeah. gaps. But yeah, but she doesn't seem to be... Did she contact them? Did she send them a mental message or something? I guess I guess that's possible. I guess, okay, let's be charitable. Sonia... But to uh, your point, it's weird that they're welcoming... You know, like he's being welcomed back like he just here. won the championship and his fans yeah. are at the airport, you know, with banners, you know. Yeah, but it, it all, the way, all the way out here, are, Azil, you joked about it, but are they going to have to walk all the way back? It's a long walk. Why, why'd they go here? Yeah, and I mean, Griffiths is naked. He's carrying Casca in his arms. He's going to go through the city like that because it's Hey, implied. man, he won. He doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he, Zod comes out of the sky. He, come, he would come out right on top of the palace, lands there, discreet. Nobody sees anything. But they kind of imply, oh, why it's got to be all the way out here? And yeah, in fucking did. Why? What's the point? Well, they wanted to show off the seaport. So, you yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They wanted to, sh- uh, to show us the harbor so that when the ship goes there, People don't say, wait, what was there a harbor? Poem is we already saying it. I mean, we're not going to be... Why is there what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but we, you um, know what we won't be saying next time? That, you know, the next time we see it, it's just part of the, the yeah, story. Sure. They're taking yeah, their lumps now. Uh, I do think... So here's the thing. Casca being here in Falconia, it's a big fucking deal. Like, that is that is turning the page beyond where we were stuck for so long is... What happens after she gets her memories back? Where will she go? What will she do? Her being here is that next chapter for her. Of course, nothing happens here. 
and, yeah. and we knew where she was headed. So it's not really new information. It's just a formally it's formally saying she's here. Yes, she's here. Of course, she's here. My frustration is that they don't even hint at what could happen. Like just as a hypothetical, imagine this whole scene happens where everyone's kneeling and Casca's there, but then it flashes a little bit and you see Casca waking up in a room. So like the impact of that is she's here and she's awake. How will she react to things? They don't even tease that. They just have yeah. Griffith smiling. There's no, there's no Mira climax. You know, he always had climaxes. He always twisted the knife or turned the perspective for a cliffhanger. There's no cliffhanger yeah. here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the, the way it's done is uh, is pretty pretty dumb. Uh, either you end with guts on the ship, we don't know what's happening with Casca, so there's like tension until the next time, until the next chapter, or you show her, like you said, just waking up in that room. She looks out the window and bam, it's Falcon. What's going to happen next? Like, yeah. Well, I wonder if they're even going to come back to this because, like, you know, everything is so. We haven't seen how they handle. This is the first time we've really seen them change perspectives. Mm. And are they going to follow through and we're going to see, you know, the aftermath of Casca in Falconia? Or are we going to go back to the ship and it was like, well, mission accomplished. You know, Casca's in a Falconia now. And maybe we'll go back there later. So, yeah, I, I have no idea what they're going to do because mm. I don't have a read on these guys yet. I mean, they're all over the map. Also, I, I would guess- say there's precedence for either way. Like mm. in a, an episode like Homing was just a standalone Griffith episode, you know, and yeah. then it switched back. So they could really do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's... I do think that, I do think they need to establish the so what and the and the what now before they would then switch back over to guts. That's just my guess, though. Yeah. To me, it's, it would be odd not to actually show what's happening with Casca in Falconia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a... And one thing that's too also... too much faith in these guys. Yeah, yeah. I know, I was just saying, is that the oddest thing you've seen in the last seven episodes? <laughs> yeah. And I, I suppose there is one, like, what now kind of moment, and it's real just user interpretive, and that is the shot of Sonia reacting to seeing Casca. Uh, it's a tiny panel. I wasn't even sure who it was. Yeah, it's when Zod is kneeling Sonya. over. I, I, I only know it's Sonya because it's the, That's her of sister. the eyelashes. Uh, but the hair doesn't match. And and what she's reacting to is kind of confusing. Obviously, it's to, it's that it is Casca, right? That's that's what she's reacting to. But Yeah, probably, it, I guess. It's a weird, huh, panel. Like, huh? What am I seeing? What's happening? Even the continuity of her face from page to page is is very weird in yeah. this episode. Yeah, so. it's like she's a different new. actress uh, playing mm-hmm. the character. Well, and actually, so you're talking about that bottom corner panel, the yeah. b- the page before last. It's the where, top corner on the last page. Top right. Wait, last the top page. corner on the last. Oh, it's just sort of her eye. Yep, someone's she's, eye with. Is eye that eye. her eye? I had yeah, to look. Are you it's, sure that's not Mule? Mule's got curlier hair. And the mule's mm-hmm. eyebrows are different. And he's got well, shorter hair, too. That's also, well, and he's also, also got, like, bangs. That's really weird. It makes no sense, but it has to be. <laughs> it has to be Sonia. It's the only one that matches. Yeah. And Sonia would be the only one to react in that way, right? It wouldn't be Locust going, a girl in our band camp? I mean, it's not even, <laughs> it's not even clear how she's reacting, honestly. It's at, uh, but... I mean, I guess it's setting up that Sonia is going to be interfering with Casca or something... And again, I guess he. Uh, That's a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, with that lieutenants, eye. The lieutenants are there, so she, they know that Casca's uh, there. So 
presumably is going to matter. I don't know. Oh. I mean, the the precedent is uh, is just there that Sony is very possessive of Griffith to an obnoxious degree. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I mean, part of our biggest interest in this plot line when it was just uh, the perspective, you know, Casca in Falconia plot line was those two forming some sort of relationship. Yeah, given their, it's to me the only roles. interesting angle apart from yeah. like Luca and things like that. Yeah, because Sonia would be curious about this strange woman who knows Griffiths more than yeah. any of the others do. Actually, she she's the one that knows him the best, and but her history with him is uh is not a happy one. So it's 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 interesting for Sonia's own development. The thing is. I have absolutely no faith at all that this team is going to do anything good with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have much more to say about nope. 30, 371. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a nothing sandwich. Yeah, it was a uh, big, big bummer because beyond the fact it didn't bring anything to the table, it actually, like, like I said... Shiruke's Body of Light, they got it wrong. Beast of Darkness, they got it very wrong. The Memories of the Swords are ridiculous. The Redcount uh, Harbor and the sea in Midland, mid-fucking-land, yeah, in the middle of the <laughs> Mid, land. Middle rando. Yeah. Maybe it's just a huge, huge river. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's really a huge river, river, and they've got a, a lighthouse in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is what's I, I even don't want to think it, but we do see that there's a like a canal in uh, in Falconia when Rickard goes there with little river boats, which is the same kind of thing you find in many European cities like Paris, uh, you know, in the Netherlands, San Antonio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of cities, you got this thing, and maybe they're like, hmm, well, since there's a canal and boats, there's gotta be the sea. And I, I hope that's not the case because that is so fucking stupid. It's, it's fucking like, it's seriously giving me an aneurysm just to, to think about it. So <laughs> I hope not, but I can't put it past them. That's the problem. I can't be like, no, definitely not. Like it might have been the kind of stupid thinking they went through. So yeah. Yeah. Terrible episode. Uh, huge bummer. <laughs> fucking depressed. I'm, I'm really depressed. I'm, I'm uh, cold on the floor. This is the... It's this episode. I, I here we didn't say it, but like that was a nice reprieve in November, not having an episode. Like, yeah, I genuinely feel like well rested. And so when this episode landed, like it did not hit me as hard, honestly. Like I've my emotions are beginning to separate from you know yeah. Berserk. Uh, it's a little Did easier to be able to swallow is? now. Yeah, same no, it, it put me in a bad mood, honestly. Like, uh, I mean, it's me. It's it's not the. Even the big picture stuff. Because actually the big picture stuff, and we'll get into that uh, right now actually, segue, isn't really the problem. It's the little individual depictions that don't really work for me. Like, you know, where it's just like, uh, we've seen Guts at his breaking point before, you know, emotionally, physically, where he's just, you know, sort of done. And this just wasn't faithful to that or to the character otherwise, where it's like, well, he's not, he's just not the type of guy to be like melting down yeah. on the floor like a little girl, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's <laughs> like hard to swallow and makes me go, oh man, they're really jagging this thing. <laughs> like, this mm-hmm. is not, that, not that, what it's I want. true. Like, here's the thing. Like, it's, it's tough for me to say what you just said to agree with it. Absolutely. But I do agree. 
It's like, I don't think Guts would take all this laying down. I don't. I think he would try to find a way. That sounds like the Guts that I know. But I, I'd have, I never saw this Guts. I never saw this Guts under Miura's hand. And that's what gives me, like, pause. Like, Well, and that's the Mira unfortunate said. thing where maybe Miura was going to do something really, you know, radical with Guts and groundbreaking. Like, well, mm-hmm. you've never seen him like this before. Exactly. And they know that. But the problem is they can't portray it in a mm-hmm. credible way. Yes. Yeah. So it makes it all feel very unreal to me. Mm. The thing is, honestly, even like projecting that you would have shown Guts being absolutely crushed and miserable and everything like that, I can safely say that it wouldn't be like this. And like he might have even been like crumpled on the floor. Why not? But that he's not thinking about Casca, that, that imagery of the beast. Again, it's a little thing, it's like Griff said, the ingredients don't add up to what it should be. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's like, it's exactly, actually, it's exactly what it is. Somebody told them, well, Mira planned to have Guts be crushed because he couldn't hit Griffiths. And what they produced was this. And the thing is, yeah, it's an approximation of a description of what he would have done, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And to answer your question, Gobs, uh, we don't know. We don't know when the next episode is coming out. And oh, thank God! Uh, yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, a nice reprieve, which is uh, quite a change uh, for what it's been for the past uh, ten years. But I really do hate being so negative. Yeah, I, I, I keep waiting for when I'm. Uh, well, let's pull back and look at the good part. You know, overall, like I'm hoping that's going to happen with the chapter review. You know, overall, we've we've learned a lot and it's interesting where it's going. And again, it's a summary that's being. You know, we're it's it shouldn't be in this format is what it comes down to. Yeah. It shouldn't be stretched Clearly. into this episodic format that they don't have the information to yeah. support. Not this that's why it doesn't work. All the, the skill to I, execute properly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like the idea of shitting on people getting enjoyment out of this or anything. But, but. you're morons. No, so I'll do it, Gobs. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. The thing is, it's just. Yeah. Go ahead, Gobs. Yeah. Sorry. No. No. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and you know, I've said this before, and it goes for all of us, just how special Berserk is to us. Um, I feel like it make it makes this almost impossible to enjoy. I don't know. Well, I'll put a happy ending on it in the sense that, like, I'm glad this is all being recorded because I completely plan to uh, do a 180 and convince myself I like it someday. So just wait for that when I'm like, <laughs> no, it's good. It's actually really good. I was wrong before. <laughs> then you can play this back for me, and I'll just go. Uh, I don't hear anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's- you could, I'll, I'll just post that that weekly readers image that you always used to post. The weekly <laughs> yeah. readers shouldn't be the judges. Yeah, it, it does feel like uh, a bit of a backstab for me. Uh, we were sold on this as something that would be very faithful and respectful of Mira's words. They wouldn't deviate. They wouldn't do... And people still... I see people trying to hold on to that. Oh, it got, it's got to be based on Maury's information and whatever. And the problem is, it started early on with Zod and, and when Zod came out of nowhere and there was no explanation. There's been, like, in almost every episode they've done, uh, stuff that's clearly liberties being taken. And... 
because they want to tie something up and just get rid of it and move on and move on. And I can understand the desire to move on and they don't know how to end something, so they just do it as quickly and dirtily as possible. The problem is, I mean, in that case, you shouldn't have done it in this format because it, it's not it's not working. It's uh, and it, it kind of feels like a betrayal for me. Well, the most charitable reading I can give it is like, for instance, the Zod example with uh, Sonya. They didn't have the information that Sonya was with him, so they didn't take the liberty of fixing it and depicting it. That's the only way to explain these things. But, it, I mean, there's going to be numerous other examples where that doesn't work, where, yeah. you know, it's like they couldn't have known this. They're taking – you know, that's that's the only way, though, that you can kind of try to, in a cockeyed way, say, well, they're not making it good because then they'd have to take too many liberties, you know, to, like, follow with the rest of the story as, yeah. like, someone who was an expert could do. <laughs> so. That being said, I mean, I don't even think they knew that Zod was supposed to be there. They, they didn't know how Griffiths was going to get away, so they brought in Zod for that. But uh, my take right now is I doubt Mira would have brought in Zod. Uh, I don't think it makes sense. So, so it, and that's, that's the problem with it is I went into this expecting it to be like I could get the, the broad strokes, extract them, and, and based on that, at least have an idea of what Mira planned. And the problem is, uh, I, I'm not quite sure. It's hard to actually distinguish what's from Mura and what's just some stuff they added in because it was convenient as they needed for something else. At this point, it's just, well, uh, Gus couldn't hit Griffiths and the island gets destroyed and Casca gets take, taken away. And that's basically it. The rest, even the Norse, I mean, was that supposed to be what happened? I don't know. I can't be sure. I cannot be sure. I tell you, even for the elves disappearing, were they really supposed to disappear like that? No idea. I think that Danan's skeleton was supposed to explode. <laughs> oh, I think that's what Mira would have intended. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an idea. Anyway, to get back to the, <laughs> yeah, to the hiatus, uh, one assistant actually left Studio Gaga uh, after the episode uh, 370. So there, there were five working on this one. And they are recruiting people uh, pretty actively. Kurosaki even made a Twitter thread explaining what he was looking for, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, there's also a full page you ad apply. At, at the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm not kidding. As apply. No, but I mean, they're, they're looking for people to do menial stuff. Uh, it's for contractors uh, working 21 to 22 days a month. They, they are not paid very much. And it includes like cleaning the studio. Uh, it's it's very basic tasks that are not particularly rewarding. Man, rough time. Even the custodian quit. Like he was like, man, yeah. this, I can't be a part of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got too much so... integrity. I'm out, guys. <laughs> he was looking at what they were putting in the wastebasket and going, oh man, this is real bad. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> this this uh, yeah, it, it it feels very very different from how Mira ran Studio Gaga. I mean, Studio Gaga was just his company, his studio basically that he had created. Not sure it was even a company, and he was managing it himself, as far as we know. But this is being managed <coughs> most likely by Hakusensha, uh, and it seems like people like Kurosaki and such are employees now of Hakusensha, instead of being paid by Mura. And, and the people they are recruiting for now would be contractors and might become like uh, professional assistants in the future, uh, actually uh, having a a work contract uh, being being uh, you know employed uh, regularly I, i'm i'm not very familiar with a workload in japan but yeah that's what they say so they're looking for people a number of people not just one guy 
get up in s to speed or whatever, at least uh, get more serious about it. So I'm expecting probably, and, and the people they're looking for, I think it's to start in March. So it might actually be a while before. Hey, man, you're going to be there in January. I think Gobbs is on to something. It's not the position they're asking for, but I say you submit oh. your resume, let them know your berserk knowledge, and then at the end be like, oh, but don't listen to that podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to hear what I say on there. I've been, I've been meaning to send them a letter, but I don't think they'll hire me after they read it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, so what was I going to say? The fact that... This introduces the possibility that they'll start to bleed off assistants that formerly worked directly with Mira yeah. and bring in those that did not work with Mira. So that's not something I necessarily foresaw because the integrity of this whole proposal was that it was at least the lasting remnants of the team that Mira built himself. But ultimately, over time, if this thing keeps going and going, why, why would they stay with it? I don't yeah, think it offered guy. like it might just be a matter of, well, they offered me a better paying job. Over sure. here. <laughs> like on a series where I might have more what's the word? Like agency to do what I want. I don't blame anybody at all for leaving this because if you have the skill and the will to do something your own, like by God, go do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's also like a big difference between work, working for Kentaro Mura and working yeah. for a guy who once was the assistant of Kentaro Mura. That's that's not quite the same thing, right? And mm -hmm. without without saying anything about Kurosaki, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know them. Uh, yeah, so I don't know who it's going on at the studio right now. But yeah, anyway, one guy quit. It was all quit or was fired. We don't even know how, how it happens. But it was the second to last recruit, the guy who came there uh, before Sugimoto. Well, didn't you say that person had one? One person had tweeted something about they haven't announced, but they can't say anything yet, or something like that. Yeah, that's that's a new guy, uh, the newest guy, Sugimoto. He's the one doing the uh, color artwork because Kurosaki is not very good at color, as we saw with the poster of uh, Skull Knight and Danani Volume Forty One. So he, oh, he's boy. been making him uh, do the color illustrations. So it mm. might have been because of that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He he posted something, yeah, kind of a mysterious thing on Twitter. Was like, I'm excited, but I can't say anything about it. Uh, yeah, no idea okay. what it's about. Who cares? Well, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to do something we promised we would do a while back, when that is a full chapter review of uh, the chapter of Elf Island, uh, leading up to where we are now at the end of the chapter of Elf Island. Finally, so we'll the back. good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Not so good stuff at the very end of it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back. here to do something we said we were going to do a while back, and that is to review the chapter of Elf Island, now that it is app apparently completed uh, with the release of episode 371. 
So what I'd like to do is to go back and just give a quick summary of each of the chunks of the chapter of Elf Island to kind of see what was accomplished over the course of the past, I guess it's like 12 years, 13 years. So yeah, we're going to do that in short matter. The chapter of Elf Island in Fantasia Arc, we're not exactly sure, but it does sound like Fantasia Arc is ending. Maybe. The chapter of Elf Island does appear to be done. So that lasted from episodes 308 to 371. It's the longest running arc in terms of chronology uh, by several years. So it was 2009 to 2022. That's 13 years. The next longest running would have been Millennium Falcon at eight years. So it is significantly longer. Of course, that incorporates you know, years long, a years-long delay. And Giganto Machia in 2011, 2012, 2012, 2013. And notably the author's death. (laughs) And the author's death Mm. and the series hiatus after that before it resumed the continuation. So a really weird chunk of the series for sure. The chapter begins right where you would imagine it would begin. It was the title of it being Fantasia with the appearance of Fantasia. But the story truly begins with uh, the appearance of the sea god and the solitary island and the ghost ship. So the pirates from Vertanus return as sea monsters transformed by the sea god. The group lands on a solitary island where humans have seemingly disappeared, replaced by monsters in the guise of humans. They meet Isma, a half-marrow human who lives on the island, and they confront the escalating power of the sea god, an ancient evil, with the help of the marrows, a new kind of elf. So yeah, these, I'm going to review each chunk of this. This, this, this section uh, of the chapter lasts from 35 to 37, roughly, roughly both ends of that. Uh, but I wanted to say kind of what's notable about each sum. So I kind of reviewed the, the broad strokes of it or with the summary, but I wanted to say what I like about them doing the pirates is that uh, the resurrection of the pirates that they'd already beaten uh, previously, now they're back with like a fantasy curveball now that they're a ghost ship. So that's like a nice one-to-one what was and what is now kind of thing to compare how the world was and how the world is kind of uh, opponent Mm -hmm. for them, even though it is kind of a pushover opponent. No thoughts on the pirates? Sure. Uh, They are great. (laughs) No, I also, I think you you really summarized it perfectly. It's, uh, we see them as normal humans in a human world. Then we see them uh, being destroyed and reborn as this ghost ship. And that's a pretty clear indication that even though all heroes are at sea, so they didn't see that massive transformation that the viewers privy to when uh, there's the explosion of light and we actually see Fantasia. So it's a way for them to almost progressively uh, get confronted with the fact that something very big has changed in the world. Mm. It's also cool to see how the seahorse operates in that sort of situation. Because of mm-hmm. the pirates being the antagonistic force in that in that instance, you yeah. kind of get to see how the how the crew works together against the threat, which could be foreshadowed for later. Yeah, and he's also uh, has guts, you know, come to save the day. I mean, he stays uh, after the battle of Britannia. He's pretty badly wounded uh, with Fantasia uh, because of that wave of light and the fusion between the Ethereal world and the corporate world. Uh, his body gets a bit better, plus all the rest he got. And so it's also pretty cool to see, like Lagrea says, they're trying to uh, handle that opponent, but because it's a ghost ship, 
that can actually, you know, go underwater to escape cannonballs, uh, you know, ram them and stuff like that. It's pretty, and, and also it's got these monstrous tentacles, so it's pretty tough for them. But then Gus comes back up. You know, you got that scene of him cracking his neck, walking up the stairs. It's almost like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando, you know, yeah. it's like... What's going on here? Oh, we're eating seafood tonight? And he just fucks them up. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I like the fact that the the pirates are a bit goofy. Yeah. Um, it's good comic relief. And it also makes it all the more terrifying to me when they eventually transform, uh, when the sea god emerges and their bodies just kind of morph and they lose their sentience. And it's really like... You know, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's kind of horrifying in a weird yeah. way because it's like you see them; they kind of they melt before your eyes after you've kind of known them as these comic characters, even when they were bad. Yeah, you know, and then up. it's like, ugh. yeah, it's it's yeah. really weird and messed up and gives you a lot of strange, eerie feelings. Yeah. And the other thing I like about the pirates and just this whole theme in this episode, which after you see the pirates kind of get transformed initially, or it's implied and foreshadowed, is you see. A seagull almost eaten by, you know, like this sea dragon or snake that gets eaten by an even bigger thing. And that continues mm-hmm. throughout this whole first uh, part of the Elf Island chapter where, you know, the pirates have been turned into these monsters that in turn are really just the tentacles for these s- bigger slug snail monsters, which in turn are just on the ends of the tentacles of the sea god. You know, it's just, yeah. it's all going back to one big, larger, monstrous source. Yeah. It's like poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> yeah, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. Yeah, that's just right. It is It is very much, you're right, that eating motif that's set in the beginning is is part of what happens with the sea god's escalation of power from the tiny little parts to the beard, as he calls it, to the sea slugs, to the sea god itself. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting opponent, I think. And I think it's it's appropriate that it is of the scale it is because it's not just another humanoid for the group to fight, right? It's something on a totally different scale that Guts has ever done. So it's a way of testing Guts against that power in a similar way as it was when we saw him face against mm-hmm. an ogre in Enoch, right? It's a different scale of opponent. How will Guts fare against this new thing? Well, pretty well, actually, <laughs> uh, you know? But I think what's what's important about this is that he did actually require uh, companions to do this. You know, Guts couldn't do inside go inside the Sea God with the armor without Shirke. Once he's there, he requires the Marrow to stun the Sea God and ultimately requires the boy and the Marrows to rescue him from it. So none of that mm. Guts could have done alone. Yeah. So it, again, emphasizes the teamwork. And, and while Farnese was protecting the ship, uh, totally. uh, having passed, or like which... Uh, diploma or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, looking at this, this little segment of the story, if I try to summarize it, first, it's pretty cool because it's a, almost a self-contained adventure and that's the first one since the Lost Children chapter. So that was a long time yeah. back and it's pretty cool to have that little thing that's like two volumes and a half. Uh, then it's, uh, Jonah and the Whale, in part, getting into the big monster, it's uh, uh, Berserk meets Lovecraft, 
because you get mm -hmm. to the desolated fish uh, island with the fishing village where there are all monsters and there's that monstrous creatures that were sealed away but the evil is awakening so as a fan I, I was a big fan of Lovecraft uh, as, as a teen and I was really delighted to sit in Berserk I'm really glad Mira did that it's also partly uh, Little Mermaid with uh, Isma in, in the role uh, and all of that is bundled together and plus a ghost ship uh, aspect. So all of that is bundled together in this great little uh, adventure, which also, of course, addresses some uh, key parts for Berserk. So you've got uh, the Berserk Salmore, of course, and the fact Gus tries to hold on but can't quite make it. The boy comes and has to help them. You see Farnese develop uh, magically. Uh, Isidro also develops with Shiruke and Isma because it, it kind of creates a triangle between them. Um, so yeah, all of these little things, the fact Gus goes inside, he's he's overwhelmed and he thinks he's not going to make it a couple of times there. So that also plays a part. All of that stuff. And we even see some, some cool scenes with Roderick and stuff like that and some good humor with Magnifico and the pirates. So it's a, I think it's pretty well-rounded, self-contained part of the story that does uh, set up things for the rest. And, and yeah, pretty, pretty cool. I really quite liked hmm. it. I didn't think about like the concert of things that happened with all the other characters. Like he gave them a meaty enough premise to have everyone contribute in a way. Everyone has something to do yeah. in the cast. Well, that's a, it is difficult because as the cast has grown, you have to give the, each something a role, right? Where is their role in this story? Uh, and that can be probably a difficult thing to balance because there's so many characters. Yeah, for sure. And I got also do a shout out for Isma, who's a pretty, pretty nuanced character that is maybe hard to understand, but you know, she's got that kind of countryside girl flair to her. Uh, but she's, yeah. she, she's simple, but not, not stupid. Uh, she, she's, she's really a great character, I think, to play off of Isidro and Shiruke. And, and really, really quite liked what he did with her, actually. It's a, it's, it was an interesting addition. Mm -hmm. uh, next up is, as we continue on, is the, for volume 37, The Spring Flower of Days Long Past, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. which is, of course, a little flashback sequence that I don't think anybody expected to get. Uh, I know I didn't yeah. expect to see it. So the summary is, um, after Guts killed Gambino, but before he joined the Falcons, Guts is without purpose and without friends. This little sequence is about both of those things. While Guts is imprisoned, awaiting a fight he's meant to lose, he meets Cheech, a new kind of elf whose life force is tethered to a flower. Guts befriends her, and she ends up extinguishing her power to heal him before his fight. But he fulfills his promise and leaves her remains with her companions in a grove. It's really beautiful. I read through it again last night ahead of this. And again, I was just struck by how well, what's the word, orchestrated it is. It almost feels circular because Guts is on this journey with, or he's really, he's already captured, right? Uh, and he ends up going to this castle where he's in prison, meets Cheech, has the fight. And then on the way out, he re leaves the flower. So just even this, the structure of it, I was just really struck by how well thought out it is. And to me, it's just a very... It's heartwarming in a way mm. uh, because it's about friendship. It's about guts. You can tell through these interesting panels where he's he wants to meet these friends. You know, Martino teases it that you know 
he basically implies that Guts feels like he's missing a purpose, which he is, of course. Mm. And when Martino describes that, you know, sometimes finding comrades to fight for can give you that purpose. And Guts, like, has this hopeful look in his eye as a falcon silhouetted, you know, soars over on the panels page. It's beautiful. So, yeah, it just it's an emotional part. And Cheech herself, one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Hilarious. Adorable. You root for her. You're sad when she dies. It's just... Cuts all over the place, and it's only three episodes. You know, pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I'd say it's exceptional. Honestly, three episodes, and you get like it's a delight when Gus has to fight the big uh, loser. This concern, yeah, and he's he's using because he doesn't have his sword. He's using like techniques, which uh, actual sword techniques, uh, which are how to say less less common. Uh, which Mira learned at the time, probably because he he got to meet the sword experts they had hired for the the movie trilogy, and so he was like he mm-hmm. he put that in application, and that's just that's just pretty cool. I mean, even the Viscount himself is a uh, is an interesting character. I think it's honestly it's exceptional. It shows us uh, just that Mira could, you know, turn anything into gold. I mean, at, the, at his heart, it's a simple idea. You know, Guts meets Chich. It gives him a bittersweet experience with elves uh, that, that plays back at the beginning of the series in, in Volume 1 with Puck. Uh, it also gives us a glimpse of what he did uh, before he met the Band of the Falcons. But yeah, it's just so well done. Uh, you can't not love it. Right. It was the flashback we didn't know that we needed at the time. Yeah. Uh, I think what I really like about it is not just the reference to, to elves, which I I don't think anybody was expecting turning into its own story. Uh, but I also really like how it kind of pulls back to when Guts was around Shirke and Isidro's age, maybe a little bit older. But I really like exploring that and comparing that because – we were just, you know, seeing Isidro and Shirke and Isma doing their thing. And you're not expecting to see Guts again at that age. And it just kind of pulls in that comparison a little bit more, being like, where is he at at this time in his life? And how does that inform his relationship with them when they come back? Mm-hmm. Mm. So. It's, it's a quite sympathetic. I mean, being a big fan of Guts, as I'm sure all readers are, right? Seeing this part of him where he's just completely untethered to to anyone, to anything, you know, it's it's just so sad to see because he has not had those experiences that make him who he is quite yet. You know, he hasn't made those relationships yet. So, yeah, I don't know. I find it very, very sad. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, when, when uh, you know, the flower gets trampled by the horses and Martin is like, oh, you'll get your reward. He's like, I don't fucking care. Basically, he just wanted to get out and be able to to plant Cheech again, so she could live, mm-hmm. and and so and that could have be done. And she even saves his life in the end. You know, it's just it's a great story. It's a sad story, but it's really great. Uh, really, nothing else to say. It's perfect. I love it. Yep. It's not one of my chunks, but I wanted to mention that episode 331, which comes after the uh, flashback here in sequence of the episodes, was actually re-changed around in the volume flow. So it comes before the flashbacks. Uh, But anyway, I find that episode really a useful coda to the end of the Sea God portion because it kind of reviews the aftermath of things. But it's also useful as a preview of things to come uh, with Casca because it's addressing what Guts hopes to do on the island. Yeah. And it's now, at this moment, 
retroactively a useful thing to revisit now that it's all over on the island. Because Guts is grappling with momentarily, at least grappling with what he will do once that she's once she's restored, and he even correctly guesses the core problem of forcing Casca back to sanity because she couldn't deal with the trauma, so she retreated, uh, and that's of course the answer to SK's mysterious warning of what she wants may not be what you want, as Shirake herself confirms three three volumes later. So. All that packed into a really just dense episode. I just wanted to mention it on its own because I do think it's useful because it, I think it gives us a little bit of insight to, to where we are now, knowing where Guts wanted to be at the end of this particular journey. Mm. Yeah, and it's something Mira never quite did in the story before, which is, like you said, kind of a recap. Re- reminded mm-hmm. the reader of everything that's at stake, of everything that's going to happen in the future. It's, it's a... It's quite unique. It's quite unique. And like you said, mm-hmm. uh, useful. Next up is volume 38, uh, which is all about Falconia. Almost the entire all, uh, volume is all in Falconia, which is very cool. Uh, through Rickert's eyes, we see Falconia, the glamorous capital city that his former friend Griffith has made. Rickert is summoned to meet Griffith, but he can't accept what his old friend has done and rejects his offer to join him with a slap. Just as Rickard is making up his mind on what to do, Rakshas tries to kill him, but the Tapasa and Sila intervene. This leads to a great confrontation against the Apostle that ends with a bang as Rickard sets out with Silat, Erika, and Daiba to the Bakaraka's headquarters. I mean, this is a fantastic sequence yeah. because you're seeing Falconia from a ground level. Uh, and not just that overhead sweeping view, but what it means to live in Falconia. You see, you know, you meet Luca and Daiba again and see how they're faring in there. Uh, and then you go all the way up into the palace itself and in, into Pandemonium. It's just a grand tour. All the things we wanted to see, we get to see, except for really what else is in Pandemonium. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> this is pretty, I mean, pretty cool, cool, though, getting to see it yeah. at all. I mean, this is also amazing. And it's just, it, to me, it's incredible. You get, so Rickert and Erica... You get to see them like the arrival uh, in, in Falconia was being pursued by trolls. There's a cockatrice. Uh, Irvine uh, intervenes. You know, we meet, we see Rabat again and Owen. Then Luca and, and the girls. Then Daibas and Silat and the Bakiraka. I mean, it's, everybody's there. And it's like, what's incredible to me about this is it's only... I wouldn't say third rate, but it's it's really tertiary characters. It's, it's not people that are important to the series, but we love mm-hmm. them and they are great. And it's so great to see them. And what happens is actually important. The, you know, we see the fight with Rakshas as he transforms. Silat uh, and the and the, the Tapasa actually manage to to beat him up, or at least to, to get the upper hand for a while. Ricker's inventions come into play. Uh, of course, the part with the slap and Griffiths is really great and very meaningful. Pandemonium, Locus. I mean, it's it's a feast. It's it's incredible. It's a uh, <laughs> it's full of a bunch of uh, narrative and emotional sort of heft, like throughout. Like you said, even though it's all these sort of side characters, they're fulfilling all these. Uh, these things that we wanted to see, including dating back like over 20 volumes, like Rickert and, you know, Griffith sort of 
discussing what happened, you know, yeah. sort of having it out. And Griffith kind of tried to like do his his Griffith charismatic magic, you know, and BS, you know, like join me again, you know. So you've decided to come, blah blah blah, and you know, Rickert just sort of standing up for not only himself, right. but you know, uh, the Falcons and taking his stand there. And even more in retrospect, uh, amazingly hitting him in the face, yeah. <laughs> which is hard to do, I understand. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of an incredible sequence. And yeah, the, like you said, uh, then we, of all things, we get to see Rakshas transform, which I don't think anyone could have... Uh, I mean, we didn't know what to expect from that. And so it was really cool to yeah. get to see that fully fleshed out. When he drinks that horse, oh, I loved it. <laughs> he doesn't really oh. drink it. He just... Yeah, it's like it's like he's making a, breaking apart a piece of bread over his head. Yeah. Like, oh. Horse juice. <laughs> he's like, it's more like he's popping a water balloon, you know, to, yeah. to, to put himself out. I oh, get man. it. He's, uh, yeah, he's great. And his Apostle form was also, for the longest time, a mystery. And I think nobody mm. guessed. Wh- Maybe he's not an apostle. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Let's not bring that back What if back he's just in. a really cool guy, a real assassin? And, but yeah, I think nobody expected for it to be what it actually was, which is also, again, I mean, he chose how cool Mira is to be able to pull that kind of stuff. And yeah, like you said, Griff, the fact the, the Bridge of Separation episode is... Uh, a direct follow-up to the Hill of Swords. I mean, again, who could have expected yeah. that? It's great. And the, in the face. also the politics at work even before that. Yeah. Like with uh, with uh, Locus basically just being really heavy-handed. Yeah, trying to towards, him. towards Rickard <laughs> Un- unnecessarily, I would say. Except it turned like because it's like it's the chicken or the egg. It's like was Rickard always a danger to do what he did? Or did just the hypocrisy and locusts laying it on so thick drive the point home yeah. to him that like this is this is bullshit? <laughs> you know, I'm not- when he leans over and like the creepy uncle getting a little too close, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just lay- it is quite a little bit much. Yeah, just mind your mind your manners in front of the boss, okay? <laughs> I mean, he's an apostle. That's also the beauty of it is that these guys they can't help themselves. I mean, locust tries to be you know, cool and stand-up guy and stoic and honorable and whatever. But at the core, he's just a monster. You know, that's all he is. Somebody who sacrificed his wife or daughter or whatever to get, you know, more strength. And, and yeah. Or to not die. Yeah, you're just a monster, man. Just stop, stop playing around. So, yeah. But that being said, even the, uh, the scene where Griffiths, you know the religious thing. He's calling the spirits. People are praying in the in the like cathedral or whatever. That's also very like it's setting up what his empire is going to be, uh, which is he's not just a military leader. He's also the main religious figure. That he's like the living Messiah, the living God uh, that these people pray to. That's also quite impressive, and it's interesting. He's also always dreamed of running a port city. <laughs> it's not clear. Yet. I'm sorry. It's got to have a port. It's yeah. got to have a port in my. That's my what he told the idea of evil. If said, if so, I want a port. But, but, but sir, there's no sea nearby. Make one. Make a sea. <laughs> Dig it out. <laughs> It's just like SimCity. You just draw that yeah. blue line all the way to the city and you make a little What do you think Grobel's been doing all this time? He's been digging with his guys yeah. and his giant uh, Apostle crew. Plowing. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, <laughs> what next? Volume 39 to 40. Uh, I, I wrote down, From Skellig's Shore to Elfhelm and into Casca's Dreams. 
Having finally arrived on Skellig, the group circumvents the island's defenses and meets a group of young magic users and a great guru, Gedflin. They travel to the Witch Island and, after a brief meal, meet the rest of Elfhelm's inhabitants, a wide array of creatures led by Danon, who reveals herself as the Sovereign of the Flower Storm. Guts immediately asks her to restore Casca's mind, and Danon agrees, but says Shirke and Farnese are best suited. They promptly use the Corridor of Dreams to enter Casca's mind, and through a series of dream encounters and battles, restore Casca's fragmented ego piece by piece. She awakes, remembers her new companions from her travels, and is eager to meet Guts, but seeing him triggers memories of the eclipse and reawakens her trauma. Quite a long one. I recognize that's a long summary, but it really doesn't actually happen across that many episodes. Everything I just described is, is one volume. Yeah, it's pretty brief. Uh, before they go to the Yeah, I think the, the Corridor of Dreams, that's like about half a dozen episodes. Mm-hmm. It's, br- it's brisk from when they arrive, carrying them, you know, milestone by a milestone. That the fact that there are great gurus, that there's a whole village of magic users, which we knew, but seeing it, right? Mira covered each of these little points almost systematically, episode by episode, leading to, which was the grand spectacle, is how they're going to actually get Casca's brand, uh mind restored because that was a missing thing like they knew that the sovereign could do it according to skull knight but how actually that would happen was very interesting to see unfold uh you see her in the coffin or fragmented ego i call it fragmented ego that's my way of describing it but that was a pretty good uh, description i think even though yeah. i said maybe a fragmented mind but uh yeah sure uh some of my favorite things about this sequence uh, even apart from finally seeing Skellig, I think if I really think about it, what really moved me was the dream visuals. The way Casca's mind looks, how dark and stormy it is, the crazy you know dream creatures that are there, oh, you know, the depiction of, Femto, of Femto and Guts as these uh, caricatured beasts, uh, I thought was fantastic. Mm. It's, uh, it's as close as we're going to get to... A climactic battle between, uh, you know, berserk armored guts and femto, drawn by Mira. Right. So that I mean, yeah. I mean, after he had passed, I you know, just reviewing this, it was like, I mean, this is it. This is the sort of the final battle. The stakes are there, and you know, yeah, it was really, really great. Just on that front, not to mention that it was just you know, getting us to the point where we got Casca back. Mm. Outside of the narrative, I think another thing that stood out to me is the fact that uh, digital uh, art started doing a lot more heavy lifting uh, for this section of the story. That's so true. It was yeah. really cool to see how Miro was kind of getting his legs under him with the style while also just kind of like continuing to, to put out such amazing artwork, but doing so in a way that was uh, a little bit different. So mm. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out for people that this likely also played into the the hiatuses he took because when you spend 30 years drawing on paper with uh, ink, uh, moving to digital is quite quite uh, difficult. And at least to me, it's it's uh, pretty astonishing that he managed to do it as as well and quickly as he did. Because that's not something that's easy to do, and I know Grail and Gobs, you you can you could talk about it, but keeping the same style uh, and the same level of detail and stuff when you move to digital is not easy. And Mura's style specifically 
with all that cross-hatching and that detailed line work, it's not something that's particularly well suited to to digital either. So I feel like that was a big, also a, a big piece of work he had to do in the background that was mostly transparent for the readers at the time. Right. So I really appreciated that change in how that process went. Mm. And, you know, as somebody who draws both on paper and digitally, like, concurrently, there is, like, differences still. Mm-hmm. That, Your brain has to switch gears. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, especially in Mira's case, given his, his history on, on uh, you know, analog <laughs> manual artwork. Yeah, so I, right. Can only imagine. I, I feel like a, a good example uh, are the posters in this in this volume, and then the cover on on thirty nine is just really the level of detail is such that it would be really hard to achieve with the uh, acrylic on on board mm. that he normally did. You, so. you need a giant canvas like they they had back in uh, the Renaissance, well, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So whereas he was just zooming in and zooming in and zooming in, <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, as far as the the story goes, uh, I I I think there's a lot to love in this. Even though, like Walter said, it goes very quickly. I do I I do quite appreciate the first meeting with Molda uh, and and we with the Wicker Man, and then meeting the great gurus Danan, seeing Hellfelm as a giant tree. Uh, that's pretty much exactly what I what I wanted to see, what I expected. Uh, I also mm-hmm. think. The fact the witch village is specifically a place where there's a bunch of old guys who are training the next generation. I think that was going to come into play later on. So that was kind of a hint for the future uh, because, you know, we also learn a lot about how the worlds were split with uh, the forest of uh, spiritual trees that were parasiting the world tree each looked after by a, a magic user and you're like, well, there's this new generation of kids you know, there might be the next generation that also does that to, again, split the worlds apart. So, you know, interesting stuff. And, of course, the gurus themselves, impressive and lots of potential for what they could do. You know, they are introduced as, like, powerhouses, uh, magic users that are, like, as good or even better than Flora who could make a real difference. And then, of course, Casca's Dream, like you said, I mean, it's a treat from beginning to end. Uh Everything from the memories relieved through Casca's perspective uh, to like the desolate landscape, even at the beginning when they each have their little dream and you see uh, Casca's uh, like the surface of her mind with like a child's drawing. I mean, amazingly well done. Uh, and, and the fact the monsters are all phallic in a way, you know, even the, the, the falcon at the end. It's like, well, especially the falcon at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's like a penis with a thorn at the tip, you know. And then when Gus fires a cannon, it reveals his eye, and that's Femto's eye. And and I mean, it's it's a delicate thing. I mean, the eclipse is a delicate scene to go through. The rape, it's 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 tough. It's something that's even controversial with with some readers, right? Because it's really horrible to see the main heroine going going through that. And so to relieve it and to play subtly like that, it's it's both subtle and also doesn't shy away from the topic. It's like, yeah, she was raped. She's traumatized because she was raped. So her like her nightmare is filled with these phallic monsters because they represent what she endured. And yeah, he didn't shy away from it. And yeah, I, I think that's that is pretty cool. Just the way it's done, the broken puppet, the marionette, whatever, 
just great mm -hmm. from beginning to end. And then with Farnese and Shirky getting their own development as they're going through yeah. that, I thought was really cool. Yeah, even for Farnese, like the resolution of her little crush on Guts, where she she kind of knew from the beginning it wasn't going to work out, right? And, and that's finally how she she manages to get it. And I think it was also very well resolved. It, it's, it was, it's kind of a tricky thing, right? Because she boss cared very much for Casca at the same time. She had that crush on Guts, and because she lived through Casca's memories, she could be like, okay, she's he's her man, and I'm her girlfriend, and I'll be there for her, and I'll help them get back together. And that's pretty great. And also the fact Shiruke herself uh, doesn't get that resolution and still feels conflicted, that's also pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I appreciated that a lot. Mm-hmm. Regarding Farnese, I just want to say right now, the coast is clear. You know, there's this second opportunity now. <laughs> yeah, well. Now the cat's away. Yeah. She needs somebody to change his diapers. <laughs> That's true. That's true. She's that still doing the together. nursemaid thing. Yeah. Regrettable. Actually, Serpico. Serpico's better suited to that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I want a side manga where Serpico's changing Guts his diapers for 18 episodes. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's going to be the next... You haven't seen the next uh, arc is the diaper arc. So, you know, yeah. so very unfortunate. Okay. Oh, God. Sums it up. The dirty... The soiled diaper arc is the next it's arc of Berserk. Territory. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is volumes 41 to 42, bringing us to where we are now. Uh, the Rising Empire and the Crumbling Island. The bitterness is rising already. Falconians destroy a group of giants called Jotun, and they use ancient dolmens to launch themselves through the world tree's branches all the way back to Falconia. Once back, Griffith meets with the ministers to lay out a plan for the empire that will pave the way for humans to thrive. He calls it a second empire after Geyseric's great empire. That night, Griffith escapes out the window after noticing his hair changing to black, and he slips out. Back in Elfhelm, Casca is uh, training with some Viking uh, kind of dummies, I guess you could call, and shows off her fighting ability. What we learn, though, is that she can't even hear Gut's voice or see him without triggering some trauma or even having memories of the past, mm. as she does with Judo here in this episode. Yeah, we see that Casca basically still has a long road to go before she, she's cured. Uh, and everybody's indecisive about it. Gut himself is... Pretty dejected, but he's willing to wait. Afterwards, the Skull Knight comes and meet him uh, and warns him that things have yet to converge, hinting that trouble is coming to the island. They do go down a gorge uh, to meet with Hanar, the one who forged the Berserk's armor, and Gus actually uh, experiences uh, the time of Geyseric's death, where we see uh, the first god hand, or at least the proto-god hand that was there before the current one, uh, where Void was present, and uh, four other guys that we don't didn't know about before. So that it was a big fucking deal. Uh, and of course, uh, another scene of the Eclipse. Uh, afterwards, we see that uh, Geyseric, or the Skull Knight, and Dalan have a history together, which is also hinted at by the flashback. And then... Finally, we get the boy that arrives on the island, uh, has a great time with his mom and dad, and it ends as he transforms back into Griffiths. Uh, what did you guys think about that segment of the story? 
before we move on to continuation. Wow. Well, the the proto god hand I feel like was the biggest revelation for me. Yeah. In that section. Yeah, just, that was huge. Just not expecting that at all, and not expecting the 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 implications afterwards. Took a lot of time to kind of puzzle out, figuring out like the timeline, like how would this have worked? Why is Void there? And you know, how would that whole process have worked? Would they all die? You know, did yeah. Skull Knight kill them all except for Void? Yeah, it said to me, these fuckers can get killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of hopeful in a weird way. Yeah. But. Yeah, and also... Well, it's also, like, if you look at it from the other point of view, like, do the other god hand know about these guys? Like, Void's, uh, <laughs> right. Void's yeah. band before he met them, like, oh, uh, don't worry about those guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have an opening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and and it also uh, gave us a window into what happened a thousand years ago. With we see the woman dying, who was presumably Geyseric's lover, and who doesn't seem to be a reincarnation of. Uh, we see the brand in the background that evokes uh, what happened at the incarnation ceremony in Albion, which also gives another meaning to Skullnight's warning about an event that happens once in a thousand years uh, of that kind of huge magnitude. Uh, lots of things. Also, I didn't mention it, but I quite liked the development with Shirke uh, and Molda, where they kind of form this little awkward friendship where Molda is kind of a rebellious teen and Shirke has uh, got, uh, you know, top of the class uh, student vibe. But somehow... Right. Well, Molda's taking her off on her Harley, though, to, yeah. like, you know, show her the <laughs> wild side. Yeah. <laughs> And that's 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 pretty cool. We also see the Volvaba, Molda's teacher, who's a master of curses and user of the undead. So it's a, it's an interesting look at the island, and I feel like was a great way to set things up for like what was to come afterwards. Uh, right. And speaking of setup with Hanar, I I really. I don't know what I was expecting with regards to meeting the the dwarf who was in charge of, I guess, building the berserk's armor. I guess I had always pictured it as being like a group of dwarves or just being dwarves in general. Yeah. yeah. So having it attributed to one specific being was really interesting to me. What? Yeah, I almost you're right. In my mind, it was like almost like a product of like their society, like previously, <laughs> rather yeah. than being like some artiste or some one brilliant you know guy. Right. So yeah, we don't even get the details of why he created it or how, but uh, it's interesting because in Japanese, like the word used is just uh, dwarf in like single form, but because it's Japanese, it can could mean plural or single, and so the fact mm. it's just a one guy, it doesn't actually it's not a problem at all with how it was uh, said back in uh, when when they first got the armor and Shuke talked about it. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So is that sort of like another kind of, uh, not wordplay, but a little uh, vagueness that Mira used to his advantage? Yeah, for sure. I don't think it was even intentional. He just used mm-hmm. the word dwarf, uh, you know, in, in Furigana, uh, on, uh, on that, that kanji that means uh, minor spirit or smithing spirit or whatever. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's it. Uh, that's how Japanese is. That's also, I would say it's different from... The title he used for Danan, sovereign, where like if you take it literally, it means king, and everybody would assume it's a, it's a man, and it turns out to be a woman. I think that was like on purpose, to because in Japanese it's possible, 
But if it were, for example, in English or French or many other languages, it would be like, no, you gotta give it a specific gender. You can't, it can't be a surprise afterwards. So or it mm -hmm. would be very difficult to, to explain it. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, very, very cool segment. And I feel like also, you know, the big part is a part about Casca. It's, we, we see her being a badass again. We get that hope. We also get that crushing feeling that they can't meet again with guts. It's like she tries, but she can't. Farnese tries to help them. So it's a, it's a very bittersweet scene or frustrating scene because you're like, I want these guys together, but they can't yet. And so close, so yeah. close. Yeah, because you know the feelings are there. Yeah, pretty much. Actually, speaking speaking of Casca, I remember when we were kind of anticipating her return, we were talking about her hairstyle. Yeah, and uh, she ended up going back to her old hair, which you know I thought at first was sort of interesting, but then I was like, well, you know, she's she's still trapped. She's still in that old mindset to a yeah. degree, I think, and so it makes sense. I would. I, I could have seen her growing her hair or getting a different haircut eventually. Like that like a long. braid or something yeah. would have been interesting. Yeah. If she just wore it in a ponytail but kept it long. Yeah, yeah, something like, like it that. It was still simple, but... Yeah, a ponytail or braid, just something like... Or a bun, even. Yeah, mm -hmm. just just to, to show that, you know, she, she's growing past the past. But it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, we did get that very that great shot of her with the little braids and the... Elf in princess style uh, that Diane right. gives her, and then she's like, "Nah, I just want regular clothes. That's not my." But <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, we might we might be just getting too creative with Casca for like in probably I don't know how Mira, you know, viewed it, but it would be almost like you know he wouldn't change Guts' hairstyle or Griffith's hairstyle. So yeah. Casca's got her hairstyle when she was crazed, you know, when it grew out long, and then she's got her iconic. Yeah, Casca look that he wanted to return to. He he gave us those episodes, yeah, where she had the crazy decorations and braids and stuff. That was really cool. Yeah, I I think that that's the one case in Berserk where I can feel like that's fan service. It's like, all right, you guys, it's, <laughs> it's been twenty years. I'm doing it for you guys, and I'm doing it for myself. Here's <laughs> yeah. here's Casca dressed as a princess. That's that's how she should yeah. be, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's free uh free DLC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's like eye candy. I mean, it's just it's, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She looks great. It's great. It lasts just a moment, but it's uh, and it's also very like in a way, it's also very cruel from him because it's like, hey, they're having their dream meeting, and no, actually, it's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> what a bummer. I can take over for the last section. Yeah. Guts slashes at Griffith but cannot hit him. His swings hit empty air. Zod appears out of the sky, and Griffith reaches Casca. The ground erupts, and Nawars emerge, chewing their way across the island, leading to a mass evacuation at the highest points, as fishers emerge across the island. Griffith and Zod fly off with Casca in his arms, as, uh, as Guts reaches out to them helplessly. Danan begins to glow, and begins uh, elves begin to disappear, with the bizarre exception of Puck and Ivalira on board the seahorse. On board the seahorse, Guts is brought on board in a, in a dismal state, having failed to stop his greatest enemy from stopping, uh, from grabbing his greatest love and taking off. Over in Falconia, Casca arrives in her new place of captivity in the midst of apostles. And that's the end of the chapter of Elf Island. Yeah, obviously, the last segment is uh, abbreviated uh, to, to <laughs> use an euphemism. 
it's uh, it rushed to its conclusion, which is which makes oh. it hard to discuss. I guess is what well, I'm we've been yeah, it's been hard to I discuss like... this whole time. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because we just going over it all again. And part of what you can see looking back is you were saying all the great setup on the island with the different magic users and Molda and her mentor and Hanar and all the potential. I mean, there would have been more there. There was still a lot of meat seemingly yeah. on that bone yeah. that, I mean, the new team just, you know, they wouldn't even probably know how to approach it. They didn't have the information, mm. let alone if they could, you know, pull it off. Yeah. So just that just had to be truncated. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, the four great gurus, uh, Dana is there, the Skullite is there, there's Volvaba, there's Hanar for the armor and the, even the Dragon Slayer, who knows, which we were speculating about for a while. Uh, all these things, all these. It looks elements. like it could have used it, huh? Yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> uh, maybe one more coat of paint on it, or one more uh, hammering might have, uh, you know, tempering. Add some gloss. Might have made the difference. So yeah, I mean, all of these things ended up uh, being non-factors. They don't come into play at all. Uh, Isma's mother gave her a seashell. Doesn't come into play at all. A lot of things, I mean, we don't even have time to recite them all, but nothing comes into play. It's just like, right, let's close the book on this. Uh, Griffith takes Casca away, Yellen breaks up, Guts is depressed because he couldn't do anything. Moving on, end of the chapter, new one starting, who knows when. And I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a rush towards a conclusion. Uh, I don't expect like great developments with God's group. I, f- I mean, I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's, it feels like it. You know, it feels like what it is. It's somebody took over and wanted to move on towards the ending because that's what they have more or less a clear picture of. So they're just ending everything in the most efficient way they can think of. There it is. Yeah, I, I don't have anything I haven't said. You know, a thousand times over, it just it feels like they are working with a skeleton and they're trying to make that skeleton look like a real human out in the mall. And everyone's like, that's <laughs> just a skeleton. What are you trying to do here, buddy? You and can't buy that. It's Skeletons can't buy that. Actually, things. a dinosaur skeleton. So, <laughs> But at the same time, you know, you mentioned like the, you know, part of looking back was to look at the old story beats versus these new ones. It's like the yeah. corridor of dream sequence was like, you know, half a dozen episodes, the, you know, getting onto the island and getting to that only took a volume. Whereas this was seven episodes and as as summarized it, you know, Guts couldn't hit Griffith. Griffith took uh, Casca and he's crushed about it. And now she's in Falconia. And of course the island, you know, kind of unceremoniously went away. But, you know, not a lot happened in those seven episodes, even though, the consequences are humongous. It's just sort of yeah. everything's been pushed off the table. Yeah. Monumental it, it events. Feel, it didn't feel monumental, though. Not at all. No, I mean, yeah, we've said it before, but just comparing what happens with the destruction of the island in just basically two or three pages is what it feels like. Compared with what happened to Albion, you know, you don't feel it in a way that you should. Right. I feel like, we said this before, but I feel like if you, if Mira were to just do those things, and to be clear, I don't think Mira just would have done those things. But if that was his menu, it would have been two or three episodes. I really do think that he could have done the guts not hitting Griffith, Griffith taking Casca in his arms, and the threat of her, him leaving the island, 
that would have been an episode and a half tops, mm. not four or whatever it ended up being, you know, like yeah. the pacing and my point is the pacing throughout all these monumental things is so disjointed that it just, it doesn't work storytelling wise what they're trying to do. Well, and yet yeah. things like, you know, you pointed out Albion, you know, there would have been an entire buildup to sort of the Island being destroyed is like this emergency event. We would have seen everyone's point of view. We would have seen people scrambling. So that would have, Island, that would have been much longer. Creatures. An island of, of magical creatures, and yeah. we don't see basically any of them mm. throughout this whole sequence, yeah. right? Until the very end. They all wave, they all wave and disappear. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what, I'm, uh, what I'm struck by, you know, doing this uh, chapter uh, overview is Isidro going to the entrance of the Seagot's cave. That was more thrilling to me and had a bigger impact that Guts facing Griffiths. And Rickert being pursued by a cockatrice in the woods, that had more impact on me than the island's destruction. Even though it's a side thing of a side thing of a side thing of a side thing that's just merely an entrance for Irvine and Raban, you know, seeing the wingstones in front of Falconia, that's a mystery which you're like, wow, what's going on? That's more thrilling to me than anything we've seen in the continuation so far. So it's also a matter of when you look at this mastery of condensed information where every little thing matters, every little detail, every line, everything has an implication reaching into the future. It's a really, it's a really stark difference between these two, I mean, parts, I guess. Well, it's also, it doesn't bode well, you know, for the future from a standpoint of Guts hasn't sort of been, like, even if you're just reading it for, like, fights and cool moments and stuff, we haven't really had that. Yeah. You know, Guts hasn't looked cool since, like, the continuation at all. Like, he, ha- you know, him fighting Griffith wasn't impactful, mm. whereas when he comes out, you know, we mentioned, like, comes out to fight the Sea God Tentacles for the first time on the ship, you know, the Ghost Pirates, he's like... He looks cool and badass, and he comes and kills them, and it's awesome. Yeah. We, I don't know that we're going to get that again, and that's sort of like one of the few things they could do, just draw some cool fight scenes of, you know, just even just panels, pages of Guts looking awesome, mm. you know, doing his thing. And I worry, oh, it's not even going to work on that level. So hopefully hopefully they can figure that out, because that's something, what, what's it all for? <laughs> Otherwise, there's no point in doing this. Yeah. If you can't even get that. That's a great point. The lowest common denominator should be Guts swinging the Dragon Slayer, and that looks fucking cool and badass. Yeah, and even people reading it just for that are going to be disappointed, you know? Where it's like, oh, I don't care yeah. about all that story stuff. I just want to see him fight cool monsters. It's like, oh, he he doesn't. he's not cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. He doesn't do so cool I, stuff. Um, I recently revised the Guts kill roster, and I don't think anybody noticed. I don't blame you. It's just something I created, like... 15 years ago but it actually just it stopped at the sea god and i I realized i needed to add the um the wicker man right Mm. but that's all i needed to add just to be clear (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) he hasn't done a lot of swinging for a while is my point you know that was 2016 was the last time he killed anything was 2016 now i feel bad because i don't know how many years it's going to be uh before he faces the next thing he's going to actually swing something swing at you know and is it going to matter or look good or you yeah. know have that impact or is it just going to be kind of limp and empty yeah. feeling? I can't say. Mm. I mean, even if you're thinking like, oh, maybe he's going to fight Grumble or Locus, 
I don't know. I mean, if it's the same as when he fought Griffiths, uh, who cares? I mean, it's not going to be... It's not thrilling, you know? You know what I mean? That's, that's my, my main uh, yeah, sure. problem. Yeah. It has to be able to move you. I mean, that's yeah. one, of my, been, been one of my fundamental problems of the continuation is that I just... It doesn't move me. The choices I think, making... I think the closest we came was the, re- the reveal of the NARS. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, when everyone that, that... felt like, oh, shit, this feels like berserk. Because, yeah, I would love to revisit that moment as well because it was the promise of something new. And, and something bigger something underneath. Exciting was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was well, literally something bigger under the surface. Some, yeah. some new lore. Yeah, that literally being, rising uh, up from the dark. A nothing burger. <laughs> oh yeah, what a delivery for that height. I really liked your guys' speculations of you know talking to guts and them having some sort of interaction with him yeah. underground. Yeah. I thought that would have been so cool. Oh, but that would have been cool. And like revealing the berserk armor connection, if that was the thing, indeed, that would have been yeah. really cool too. Damn. But uh, turns out it was not the case. No. They they receded from him because they realized he smelled like urine and they're like, uh, <laughs> let's the, get away from this the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I don't want to end it on my biggest regret, but like my biggest regret, other than, you know, what happened with Miura going before his time, was that the the choices that they've made uh, really cast a, a a a bad shadow for Berserk. I think, you know, yeah. I don't think I I think what could have happened here would have been one of the biggest climaxes in the series. And I don't mean that hyperbolically sure. or exaggerated. I really do. Sure. I really do think that, that those ingredients. If you have Griffith, Skull Knight, Danon, the Gurus, Volvaba, Guts, all of them in the same place in the same proximity, that could have been fucking. Fireworks. Yes. Yeah. Would have been I mean, Mira's greatest achievement Guts, to date, probably. Guts versus Griffith, and then the island. Who who thought Skellig was going to be gone? Right? Mm. That should have been like the biggest mind blower ever, but it became the way it was presented. It was like an afterthought. Mm. So that's that's all it was. Yeah, and also. And even if it did, even if it did end up with Griffith taking Casco away, like I, I, I'm kind of like halvesies on that being the thing. Let's just let's assume it was. Even if that was. I can imagine some dramatic tension and some back and forth before they got to that and not just to clean mm. Griffith's got no clip on and he just walks right through everything and takes off with her no tension. You yeah. know, that just doesn't seem like the right fit for that. I mean, moment. I'll just say first, definitely 100% agree. Like you, when you look at everything Mira had set up, it was obviously to be something of a magnitude never seen before in the series, meant to be like. Okay, we're at the two-thirds point. Now we're starting the last leg of the journey. And, you know, the next time we see something this big, it's going to be the ending. So, obviously, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it crumbled down into nothing because he passed away. Uh, but uh, when you think of Griffiths Caesar, Berserk's armor, Femto, turning into Femto... You got a Skull Knight who tried once to get him and failed. But now, if he's got his arms full, it's going to be hard to dodge. You got the Great Gurus. You got Danan. Griffiths is basically in enemy territory. All of these elements. You got Shiruke there. We got a glimpse of that when they depicted her seeing a Maelstrom. Probably that was something they had from Yura that he's, he yeah, told he planned to do. So all of these things, it, it's, a, it's a glimpse a hint at how big of a deal it could have been. Well, uh, 
I mean, my final thought was sort of, uh, you know, what we said about how these shots and these moments and these scenes don't have impact. And I mean, it, the indictment is it would have had more impact if you had just done like Maury's letter or like a, a written short story book yeah. with little illustrations punctuating oh shit, Guts versus Griffith, and then the rest is in your head, and that would have had yeah. more impact than them actually drawing it out. That's that's a failure. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it, go, it comes down to the power of imagination. The, yeah. the more you show that's uninteresting, the more you kill the story. Like, it's like, better to not show it and let people imagine it. No, no one can recreate objectively Miura's, you know, work, but... Each one of us is best equipped to, in our own heads, imagine it as we perceive it. Yeah. So yeah. that's why, yeah, that would have worked. Better. I mean, I'm still holding out for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, and that's the hope for this at the end is that you just sort of you read it and then you remember it and you sort of improve it in your, you know. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. I mean, the, just, you you take the raw events and you re reinterpret them. The, the best example so, of that. Sorry, Gobs. Oh, no, go on. It's uh, when you see, like, uh, the, the, the spell, the protective spell of the four elemental kings being cast on the island. And that's, that's the only thing that goes on. And it's just cast far away from behind a mountain. And you're like, you've got these four great gurus. You've got the Volvabas. So it's like five top-level world-leading magic users. There's a big threat. There's a skull knight there again. There's also a ton of other magic users who are like specialists in their fields and, and you know, seniors at the stuff. And like, there's running. Yeah, there, there could be. I mean, it could be incredible. These guys can fly on brooms in the skies. They can. They've got wicker men. They can. You know, get could just make the you know rain appear out of nowhere. I mean, that's not nothing, right? Right, and they dissolve in rain yeah. or water, right? Yeah, and we and they're like, ah, I wish, wish I should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just just don't show it. Just like cut from the night to the morning and let people imagine it. And and I'll just mm -hmm. these guys be like, yeah, everybody's safe. Uh, we manage it. Uh, nobody died because we 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 are great, you know. And just let people imagine it. But if you you mm -hmm. show that one puny spell, that's like a beginner spell that Farnese could cast after three months of training as a magic user as an adult, you're like, you kill the story. You kill the and story. They, and they only use used that because that was the spell that had been used before. That yeah, a reference. Yeah. Of course, yeah. it's a safe way. But, you know, no thought was put into it. It's like, it, like I said, it kills the story. I, I get the logic of it from their perspective, from the, the team's perspective, but it's, it's a bad decision, objectively. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. That's it. And I guess uh, well, I was going to say we'll look forward to the next chapter. I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's going to come out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Well, I, I do think, thinking back to how great what Mira did was, because that's what it comes down to is that Berserk was great because it was Mira's work. I, I do have hope that we will still manage to be able to extract some key points from what they're doing, that that kind of skeleton of what he had planned. And we'll be able to engineer our own versions that's going to be better than, than this. I mean, it's never going to replace what Mira would have done. There's no way around that, even if we tried for 50 years. But we can still do some things that might at least do him more justice than what uh, Studio Gaga and Mori have been putting out so far. 
Right. Yeah, and I mean the the irony is that we're we're kind of we're reading it wrong because they've put it in the wrong format. They're forcing us to experience this experience it this way. But when it's all said and done, maybe yeah, we'll just be you can just read whatever they put out, get the beats. You know, Griffith appeared, guts couldn't hit him. He took Casca, the island's destroyed. He goes back to Falconia all the way to the end. And yeah, in your own head, it'll make sense. And it's like, all right, I'll have some closure and that'll be it. And you, you know, you won't have to go back and see how poor all the details are compared to what came before them. Yeah. Yeah. I, just to be clear, that is the only path forward to making, to salvaging the remaining parts of Berserk. Because I really don't think we're ever going to ha- have a published authoritative list from Maury. I mean, Maury would say the continuation is the list. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, because it would invalidate the work they're doing yeah. if it changes at all, you know? Mm. So that's why I don't think they're going to, I don't think we're going to get that list. So I think we, yeah. we need to. Make it's the, the continuation is the list, but it's a list being drawn into a, a manga, mm. which is a weird thing to do. Yeah. And also, the problem with it is that there, there's no distinct. We, we can distinguish between what's actually like the stuff Mira said and what they're adding in to link these parts together and make them make sense and close the You don't think he page. mentioned the little Porterino behind, yeah, <laughs> behind I mean, Falconia? <laughs> yeah, the, the, how to say, Pleasure Yacht Club uh, for Falconia's Elite and... Uh, yeah, and, and Maury, I've got a great idea to make Griffith an even bigger douchebag. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> he's, he's got his private yacht in his private harbor. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna hate him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I, all this stuff. Even again, down to Zod uh, landing landing on the island. I think it's just shortcuts and things that are added for for it to make sense and. I get the idea behind it, but I don't think it's well done, and I, I see I don't think it serves the story, unfortunately. So, I do yeah. I do still uh, hold out hope that we we might get uh, yeah the list for Mori in one form or another. I, I even if it's just an interview in a newspaper, fine by me, fine by me. Honestly, I just don't think he's gonna say, oh yeah, and that little bit there, yeah, we just made that part up. Yeah, that was you know, bullshit. Sorry. I just don't think he'd do that, you know? Well, well, you know, one thing I noticed is when you were summarizing earlier parts of this chapter, there were so many little things happening between the bullet points. Mm-hmm. And when you were summarizing this end portion, that's literally all that fucking happened. So yeah. maybe, you know... Yeah, it's uh, like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's a lot of busy work. You know, there's no way around it. It's not even... It's not even against these guys. It's just it's just the facts, you know. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, we'll be back in another month with more Skullcast. All right. Bye bye. Thanks, everybody. Live from Japan. <laughs>If you like our show and want to support us, you can visit us over at patreon.com slash sknet. All the proceeds there go to our resident translator, Puella, who's been supplying us with translations of Miura interviews, Berserk episodes, tidbits across all the Berserk fandom, and more. You definitely don't want to miss it if you're a big Berserk fan. 
There are three tiers to choose from, all with varying rewards, ranging from episode translations to interviews, and of course to a series of mini podcasts that Azil and I record once per month. So if you like the podcast and want just a little bit more, definitely check out the mini podcast. Much more off the cuff and just kind of fun. And if you haven't checked us out online, we are at skullnight.net slash forum. We have a big Berserk community with thousands of members. It's been growing ever since we launched it way back in 1999. The same core group of people that you heard on this podcast, that's myself, Azil, Griffith, Gobble, Latula, and Grail. We've been around all this time, reviewing Berserk in and out ever since. Once again, that's it, skullnight.net slash forum.